0: This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody.
1: Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. We do what we can on this program to give you the information, the tools you need. To live your life, to figure out what uh, you need to do to take your life to the next level. Welcome to the program, everybody. Top of the morning to you. By the way, a very, very, very special day. And uh, this is the Back to the Future day. Mmm.
2: You, dis- you, remember? You, you
3: dismissed it yesterday. Don't, I Don't act like a fan today. I'm not a fan today. But I didn't, you're, I didn't you're dismiss trying, you're trying Back to You're trying to sell it. You did. you did. You went, nerds. No, no, Because no, no, yesterday no, 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 was a Star Wars trailer. Talked about that a little bit. Okay, you're like, yeah. Oh. That's, let's get And then get I said, real. it's Back to the Future Day. You're like, hold oh, it, give hold me a break. It, hold it. Does it never end?
1: No. It was after about an hour of nerd festing. What's an hour? is about two seconds. Two seconds of deep discussion and like yearning for Star Wars then you bring up a classic.
3: Did you watch the trailer? Which one? Star
1: Wars. Yeah, during the, during the Monday night football.
3: Okay, and it was a trailer. I just don't understand for another your, movie. I don't for a understand your criticism.
1: sequel. But I didn't get chills like some of you. I didn't get tingles up my leg. This isn't like like what's his name? Chris Matthews. Come on. On Back to the Future. This is why it's so amazing. October 21st is when they set in the DeLorean, what was the name of the, the cap, the the name of that machine in the, the, flux, DeLorean, capacitor. the flux capacitor. flux yeah. capacitor. See, again, geek. The time circuits? Um, October yeah. 21st, they set it for October 21st, 2015 yeah. at four twenty nine 29 p.m.
3: So, you know, technically- I remember the, seeing
1: that as a kid.
3: The flux capacitor was behind them. Yeah. It was that Y-shaped looking thing. Yeah. And in the front was the time circuits. Right. And then they set those to- I think my point has been made- <laughs>
1: That some people are g- g- geeks. Sorry, I watched a movie. You didn't watch it, obviously. Most, you absorbed it. Well, you ingested it into your being. Is
4: that wrong, though?
1: No. No. A lot of people, you know, a lot of people go to church, a lot of stuff like that. Others just worship the flux capacitor. <laughs>
4: uh,
1: <laughs> anyway, today's the day that it's finally happening. So if you're walking around and a DeLorean all of a sudden appears out of nowhere and there's two you know fire
3: stripes
1: of fire down the road
3: they'll be greatly disappointed yeah cuz the future is not as cool as they put it, as they made it we don't sure. have like hoverboards everywhere mm. and we don't have shoes that well have you seen those their boards they have like wheels on the side though you stand on it like yeah and yeah. you roll forward. Yeah, not a hoverboard. Though they're calling them hoverboards. Yeah, not they don't. They're actually them. in Europe. They're having problems. They're catching on fire as people are riding around See, on it. Yeah, it's bad. That's it's bad. It's a bad design flaw. They might want to look at that. <laughs> bad design flaw. Yes, but not that there's a good design flaw. But I mean, that's really cool. I think uh, that
1: now we have arrived to the future, and we find out
5: uh,
3: not so great. I think we knew. When the movie started showing, you know, hoverboards and self-tying shoes and the Cubs winning the World Series, we all went, yeah, okay. We get it. (laughs) That's it. This is never going to happen. Um, Cool news.
1: Uh, Paul Ryan. He says he'll get in the race based on about 20 qualifications. Right. But one of them I I absolutely love. He's choosing
3: his own adventure.
1: He wants to – let's just run through a few of the – the requirements, Paul Ryan said, the conditions that have to be in place if he's going to run.
2: We need to move from an opposition party to being a proposition party. Because we think the nation is on the wrong path, we have a duty to show the right one. Our next speaker has to be a visionary one.
1: Pro- he, wants, he wants us to have propositions, not just opposition. Brilliant. Somebody's got to do it.
2: We need to update our House rules so that everyone can be a more effective representative. This is, after all, the people's house. But we need to do this as a team, and it needs to include fixes that ensure that we do not experience constant leadership challenges and crises.
1: He wants new rules so that you can't just toss out the speaker at your whim. Mm-hmm. I wonder if he's going to get any of these.
2: We, as a conference, should unify now and not after a divisive speaker election.
1: Yeah. Unify now. So he's just saying you got till Friday. If you want me, I'm here. I'm hot. Take me. What? I don't know. That's not what he... That, those aren't the words. I'm paraphrasing. From what? I don't
3: know. Didn't I didn't think it was anything. MSNBC. Is that what it was? Yeah. Okay. I'm here. That's I'm a, hot. Why do things go want, away from what was actually said? If you want me by Friday. There's plenty to unpack there. If you want me... To just make stuff up. I'm here Friday. You're getting mad at me about Back to the Future.
1: Then it's just take me. <laughs> if you don't <laughs> want me... He says, I'll go back to the Ways and Means Committee where I'd rather be. Right.
3: Now, some people are saying taking this job is political suicide. If you have any aspirations beyond being Speaker. Yeah. Like after, you're killing your, your any uh, chances. Maybe. Yeah. Because he's, he, I mean, he, he's he, may a, he may want to run for president. He's 28 years old. He's not 28. He's 40. Don't know how old he is. But he's young. He loves classic rock.
1: By the way, I also noticed somewhere he's one of the top 20 best-looking politicians, <laughs> along with Canada's new president or prime minister. Right.
4: Was this also on MSNBC?
1: I don't remember where I saw I think that was more like on Slate.
3: Oh, okay. More of
1: more the hard-hitting news <laughs> I don't that, know where it that
3: you jump into there.
4: Yeah, I, I
1: like to go deep. After the show, I like to just go a little shallower. The water's warmer when it's, where it's shallower. There may be reasons for that. Yeah. Anyway, um, the best thing about Paul Ryan, and I'm not going—I don't want to steal your thunder because you're going to run the clip later. But I'm going to steal your thunder. It is the Matt Townsend show. Clip number four. Listen to this one.
2: I cannot, and I will not give up my family time. I may not be on the road as often as previous speakers, but I pledge to try and make up for it with more time communicating our vision, our message. What I told members is, if you can agree to these requests, and if I can truly be a unifying figure, then I will gladly serve.
1: I'll do it. I love that, man. If you're not going to make this a unifying proposition, then let's just not do it. If you can't all get behind me, I'm good. Let's not do it. But I'm not going to be there to go raise money for you as much as Boehner did because I've got a family to take care of. How cool is that? That we need more of. In fact, we might even call that authenticity in politics. And our upcoming guest, Dr. Seth Maskett, in just a few minutes, is going to come talk to us about authentic politicians, if there is such a thing. Authenticity in politics. What is it, really? We all are begging our politicians to be more authentic. In fact, many say that's why Trump's doing so well is because, you know, he is what he is. He's just being authentic. But then our guest makes a great case that is, is Trump authentic? I mean, Trump's an actor, basically. Is Hillary Clinton authentic when they keep saying she's going to she's going to start being more laid back and fun? If you're announcing you're going to now be laid back and fun, then you're not being who you are. Mitt Romney apparently lost the race because he wasn't authentic. They kept saying if you could just see Mitt, who he really is, you know. Authenticity in politics. We'll be talking about it. Does it really matter to you? got a great uh, guest, Seth Mascot, will be joining us. But before we do that, let's get to the Terry and the headlines, find out what's going on around the world.
3: Good morning. Jim Webb announced Tuesday that he will drop out of the Democratic presidential primaries one day after emailing reporters that he was considering a independent run. During a press conference, Webb suggested he could run independently because he realized many of his views are not compatible with the voting hierarchy of the Democratic Party. It's been very
4: difficult in the Democratic Party primary process with the dominance of one candidate, not only in her candidacy, but in the structure of the the Democratic Party, the financing structures, the hierarchies themselves, the DNC. I have issues that I care about that maybe aren't in line with that particular hierarchy.
3: Webb also said Americans are neither Republican or Democrat. He concluded, I will never change my views in order to adopt a party platform. The United States and Russia reached a Memorandum of Understanding Tuesday about how both its aircraft can fly safely over serious skies without running into each other and, when necessary, communicate with their rival pilots, the Pentagon announced. Uh, Pentagon spokesman Peter Cook suggested the agreement did not designate what both sides considered a safe distance between its aircrafts. He could not say what happened if Russia violates the terms of the agreement, but rather that a climate of mistrust continues despite the memorandum. So, Progress. A missing Georgia Institute of Technology student was found Monday in a railroad ditch after his friends used the Find My iPhone app to track him down. Georgia Tech Police Chief Robert Connolly said a sta- in a statement that James Hubert, a senior majoring in aerospace engineering, was last seen 11 p.m. Friday night after attending a party near a campus in Atlanta. He is uh, worried friends started searching for him over the weekend, started the Twitter hashtag Bring Jimmy Home. Eventually, they, de- they determined that the date uh, he left uh, the cell phone in his pocket, Used or his date left her cell phone in his pocket and used the app to trace his location. They found him in the ditch seven miles from campus, a few blocks from the commuter rail station. So the app works not just to find your phone, but to find you when you're face down in a ditch. <laughs> Thank heavens for
1: technology. Where would we be without technology? Folks, we're going to take a break. When we come back, Dr. Seth Mascott will be joining us. And uh, we're going to be talking about authenticity and politics. How big of a deal is it for you? Are you really just looking for the genuine leader? Or does it really matter what fried food they eat at the fair? You know, can, can they even just eat what they want at the fair? Or does it just make bad media? So uh, we'll talk about authenticity, folks. When it comes to your politicians, does it matter? And how does it matter? Stick with us more on the topic right after the break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. welcome back friends to the Matt Townsend show it is complicated you're so right Avril it's it's hard because do you really truly need to see your candidate in an authentic way being authentic is that the key I mean that's what we say you know every presidential race the campaigns show their candidate is genuine relatable the everyday man. Right They go bowling, they eat fried foods at fair at fairs, they drink whiskey. And you know what? In the end, they're trying to always position themselves as just the average Joe, just like you. But the reason for this seemingly calculated attempt at normalcy is to appease apparently the public's desire for authenticity, and according to our next guest, uh, Dr. Seth Maskett, one of the more tiresome discussions he says in American politics concerns the need. For candidates to be authentic, voters allegedly rally toward candidates and they to find the real and uh, you know kind of the real and genuine candidate and they turn against the phonies and those that are out of touch, those elites right but um, that that may not be the case. Uh, Dr. Seth Maskett is an associate professor and chair of the Department of Political Science at the University of Denver, and uh, he wrote a wonderful article on authenticity. Um, basically saying, I don't think it means what you think it means. And we've asked him to be on the show to help us kind of sort through this. Dr. Seth Maskett, welcome to The Matt Townsend Show.
5: Thank you for having me on.
1: You bet. We love it. I love that article you wrote. We, we really do. We think, we think, for example, like Donald Trump is having all of this success because I guess we see that he's just authentic. He says what he means, but you, you, kind of, you believe that that may not fully be the
6: case.
5: That's correct. I mean, I think Trump is a pretty fascinating case of this because here's a guy he, you know, he certainly spent a lot of his career, you know, essentially making money. And he's spent the last 10 or 20 years essentially managing his image. Right. Um, he's been a TV star. He has been, you know, essentially trying to construct some sort of public persona of himself. And we perceive that as somehow the real him.
1: <laughs> and it might just be that they're really good at being the role or a f- or- you know, the facade.
5: Yeah, it might just be a very convincing performance.
1: <laughs> but so in the end, it may not be. I mean, are we even good at, at you know, reviewing what people do and actually detecting authenticity?
5: Um, I, I, I think it's it, it's in many ways very hard to, to pin down. I think one of my favorite examples of it is just thinking of the, the 2000 presidential race where you have uh, George W. Bush and Al Gore, Really going out of their way to portray themselves as authentic,
6: mm-hmm.
5: um, to portray themselves as sort of you know as 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 being in touch with common people's concerns, as talking like just plain folks. And of course, what you have is these these very wealthy, Ivy League educated people. Uh, the one's the son of a president, one's the son of a senator. <laughs> I mean, they're they're not like us, right. and
7: that's fine. You right. know,
5: they're applying for a job. Um, but somehow one of them came through seeming like a real person, and the other one came through looking like a caricature. And it's it's hard to wonder if maybe we just sort of apply those labels after the election and just say, well, Bush won because he was more authentic. But you know, but for a few hundred votes in Florida, we might be saying the opposite. It's
1: so true, and it's we we always see these images, and it seems like all of the images are are similar. the The image of the candidate in a diner, sitting down, you know. Having just a, a meal in some diner in Iowa, except the fact that they brought an entourage of 200 people, pulled in in a bunch of limousines, spent thousands of dollars just to get there and then to have a quick burger with someone. <laughs> it just doesn't make sense. So where does this idea that authenticity matters, where does it come from?
5: Um, it probably has pretty old roots in the in American politics anyway. Um, I and mean, we can see someone like, uh, you know, Andrew Jackson trying to kind of construct this image of himself as, you know, this, this this tough fighter, this self-made man. And at the time when they were just sort of developing the idea of of really of like a very public presidential campaign of appealing directly to the people, um, those images were seen to have a lot of value. And, you know, I mean, this is almost 200 years ago now, but we've been sort of living in the shadow of – of that campaign ever since, where everyone tries to build this sort of this ideal candidate image, yeah, uh, built in this American ethos of of the self-made person, the hard scrabble guy. You know, <laughs> even if you've made if you've had a lot of success in your life, you you still understand the common people. It's uh,
1: I just just when you were talking there, I'm sitting there thinking of like Putin riding the horse, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like. It's everywhere, isn't it? We're, we're all. It's just a. It's a show. We're trying to prove that we're strong, that we are. I mean, somewhere in Hillary Clinton's uh, campaign recently, they said something like, "We're, we're going to try to. We're going to try to be more spontaneous." <laughs> and you just think, "Are you kidding me?" Like yeah, you, you, just, said you just said it. You
5: just said it. a perfect example of this. Of, Holy cow! Uh, trying to make and you know as a read somewhere, I can't remember who wrote this, but just that, you know, just the very act of running for president is, is not fun. No. Uh, I mean, there's very little sleep. There's a lot of begging for money, a lot of begging for votes. It's fairly grueling. And anyone who looks like they're having a good time doing it is probably not being authentic. (laughs) That's
1: right. They're, they're a fake. Um, (laughs) The funny thing too, though, you, you say this goes back, this goes back to Washington, uh, to Lincoln. Were, were they, were they authentic?
5: Um, well, we certainly recall them as authentic, (laughs) but I mean, at the history says they were, they were were playing roles in some way. Um, I mean, Lincoln was very much a backroom politician. He was a wheeler and dealer. Um, but he sort of, he, he was good at portraying himself and his, his supporters were good at portraying him as just kind of, you know, just a backwoods guy who an obscure country lawyer who was, plucked from obscurity to you know to to lead the nation in a moment of crisis um and and he'd been angling for the job for some time um washington had been angling for the job for some time too but he he did a good job as portraying himself as uh, you know not well i'm not sure whether i'm going to do it reluctant or not. yeah
1: <laughs> the reluctant leader i don't know yeah. gosh <laughs> golly guys should i Okay.
5: Yeah. And, it's, and it's not that everyone's a phony. No, it's no. Just that, you know, anyone, if you're applying for a job, you you try and put on a good face for it. Yeah. Um, we all do this. We all try, you know, there are certain aspects of our character we try not to put on display and other aspects we try to put forward. It's it's. But it's, you know, it, it's, it's a little bit of a mask.
1: Well, you, you almost don't want, it's, again, we see it now with Paul Ryan. He's coming in, okay, I'll be your leader if I can do it under these conditions, a unifier and a, and it's, but it. I guess it's part of the role. If you come in looking too proud, then I mean it's almost like we demand a little bit of humility in our president even though it's hard to be humble when you're running for president.
5: It's hard to be humble and, you know, there's a there's a certain expectation in American politics that anyone who wants the job is probably not fit for it. Um so we yeah. uh you know, we we look for people who don't seem to want the job, although in, in Paul Ryan's case, it might legitimately be true. No, yeah, yeah. seem what that job has done to other people. Right.
1: They're, they're, yeah, they're down to the one guy. <laughs> they've got one more left here. Um, but there's something, too, I guess, about just the the electorate. The electorate wants to believe that their politicians are like them, that they are just average Joes.
5: Well, this is where I wonder. Um, I mean, certainly, you know, any any one of these campaign consultants who are advising candidates to do these things, they can they can certainly point to some polling saying, I want someone who understands me, someone who understands regular people's concerns. Um, It's actually hard to, like, identify that this has much of an effect in elections. Hmm. Uh, It's not certain that it doesn't, but it's hard to, like, you know, find, well, here's the authentic candidates and here's the inauthentic ones and the authentic ones seem to do better. I don't think anyone's ever been able to actually conclusively prove that. So we're just kind of, sort of guessing that this is something that that voters really care about. But a lot of the time, you know, what's actually determining elections are just much bigger things like the state of the economy, mm. whether there's a war going on, uh, is there a you know major scandal with one of the parties, and we just sort of apply these authenticity inauthenticity labels after the election is already done.
1: And is is maybe help me understand this with with maybe the millennial generation, maybe some of the rules we used to use, like about authenticity, maybe they really don't apply. Maybe people are disenfranchised and and disenchanted with politicians and don't trust them no matter what they do.
5: That might be. Um, It might be also, you know, millennials, Care about authenticity as much as any other generation, but their ideas of authentic look very different. Hmm. Um, it yeah. might be that you know hanging out in an Iowa diner just doesn't have the same effect on
1: them. <laughs> yeah, being able to use the internet or something might. Wow, it's, right. it really is a it's a fascinating, um, I think, discussion. And in in your article, um, the meaningless of authenticity, you cite you know Bush and Gore, but there's other candidates that. That seemed to have been doomed, maybe they weren't, I guess we don't know because it could have been the other factors you were talking about, just doomed because they didn't seem as approachable like a i mean a John Kerry at times didn't seem as approachable or um Mitt Romney didn't seem as approachable or authentic
5: um yeah, that's true i mean they you know they came in with uh you know a typical problem of of being very wealthy, you know having kind of a patrician heir to them. Um, but again, it's it it's hard to say, uh, you know, were they doomed from the start because they appeared inauthentic um, or, you know, is this all just a matter of other factors affecting the election? Yeah. Like If there had been a recession in 2004 and Bush loses as a result of that, do we say, oh, well, Kerry actually looked really much more authentic than Bush in that election afterwards. Yeah. Um, it's, it, it's hard to say, but it was, this is obviously something that, that worried the Kerry campaign a lot. And he went out of his way to portray himself as a more authentic person. He talked up his war record and, uh, you know, manufactured shots of him windsurfing, uh, which <laughs> supposed to, was supposed to make him look like the common. Yeah. Fan, probably didn't have the same effect.
1: No, it, it reminded me of Dukakis <laughs> <laughs> in a tank.
5: Dukakis windsurfing would have been fun.
1: No, that would have been great. Uh, anyway, let, let's do this. Let's take a break. We're talking with Dr. Seth Mascott, who's an associate professor and chair um, at uh, University of Denver in the Department of Political Science. He um, He's teaching us a little bit about maybe our overestimation of authenticity. Um, the data is not necessarily there that the authentic candidate has an advantage. Um, but we're going to come back, continue this discussion. I want to get into... Uh, A little bit more about the current political setting, Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton, and uh, their quest for authenticity. Stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show, helping you find the tools to make your life uh, a little clearer, a little easier. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. On the phone with his Dr. Seth Maskett uh, from the University of Denver. And uh, there he is, an associate professor and chair of the Department of Political Science, and is here on the line to talk to us about authenticity, the quest for authenticity. It actually may be a vain endeavor, simply because if you want an authentic presidential candidate, the two may not go together. It's hard to be authentic when... You have to run in a primary uh, with a divided you know, party and poll either super liberal, super conservative, and then you then have to come be elected in a more moderate field. So, man, it's, it's a tangled uh, process and a tangled web. Dr. Seth Maskett, thanks for being here. Thanks again. What do you think about that? I mean, just even the process alone would make it so hard, if not impossible, to be authentic to all of your beliefs, because I have to get elected by the extremes of my party and then nationally, when I go to the general election, move to the center
5: um yeah that's uh, I mean R- Richard Nixon used to say you have to run as hard as you can to the primaries to the right, and <laughs> then, as soon as the primaries are over, you have to run as hard as you can to the center Ugh. um That can be you know kind of an unmooring process a little bit i mean we don't, candidates don't end up doing that too much, but they certainly you know try and you know maybe change a little bit how they describe issues right and, uh yeah it's it's hard to come through that um uh For any voters who have a memory of what you said just a few months earlier. Well,
1: I mean, that's what we're seeing. Even that came up in the debates with Hillary Clinton. Aren't you changing your positions? Mm -hmm. And no, I'm just gathering new data, (laughs) getting new information.
5: Yeah, that's uh, that's a particularly hard one for candidates who do change their mind on things. Yeah. And we know that that's certainly a very human thing to do. I mean, we don't hold the same views that we hold every year um but we tend to punish uh candidates who say they have switched their positions mm. now it's it's you know there's i've actually seen some research on this recently um suggesting it's actually worse for a candidate to hold on to an unpopular position than it is to flip-flop to the more popular one there you go okay so the flip-flopping makes some sense but you can still get uh you can still get uh, beat up a little for it
1: so is it do you do you get in your data your research Seth is it is it the the electorate demanding authenticity from the candidates, or is it the candidates and their advisors and handlers? Um, are they the ones that just think that there's the illusion that the people want authenticity?
5: Well, I mean, I think it's one of many things that voters say they want from their candidate, and you know the a lot of the things that they do want are things that are really out of the candidates and out of the consultant's hands. I mean, they you know they, they want a strong economy, they want a country that's at peace, uh, you know they want a nice, moderate, functioning government. Um, and those are the things that really end up turning elections, but that's not something a, a, one particular candidate necessarily has a lot of control over. So they will try and manage what little they can, which is, you know, things like how the candidate's image is coming across, how they're portraying themselves. And, you know, with the theory that this probably doesn't move that many votes, but, you know, even in a very close election, maybe this sort of thing might matter. Yeah. So, yeah, the candidates work to, you know, to try and just tweak out as many votes as they can from that sort of thing.
1: Um, a really interesting, I think, example of authenticity seems to be someone like Ben Carson, who... He's just so nice it's so, and just so – I mean almost like kind of a fish out of water. Like he doesn't belong here. But man, he's got a really good story and you know he had a great mother. I mean, how much is the whole story – because that's what you have to do I assume is create like and scope out this entire story of each candidate, their childhood. Remember President Clinton's – he was born in Hope, Arkansas and – it's just there's just a lot of staging, isn't there?
5: There is a lot. And, you know, in that sense, Ben Carson is, is kind of plays into that mold of um you know, candidate who didn't come who came for very modest means, um, who worked very hard, who excelled in school and, and became a success in his own field. Um, but he's also been very interesting to watch lately. He seems to be yeah. really kind of learning from Trump's example that uh, <laughs> The crazier you sound, the more attention you'll get.
1: <laughs> and, it, and it works, apparently.
5: <laughs> at, least, at least for a little while. For
1: a little while, it's working. You, you bring up a really great point, and I would love you to explain it. You, you said that um, authenticity is more like a way that we rationalize election outcomes afterwards. It helps create a narrative to easily digest a very complicated national election. What do you mean by we use authenticity to rationalize our, you know, our outcomes?
5: Well, what I'm saying there is that um, basically elections are very complicated, and immediately after an election, we want some sort of a story for, well, why this happened. Mm -hmm. Why did Obama get reelected in 2012? There were plenty of reasons why he shouldn't have gotten reelected. There were plenty of reasons why he should have gotten reelected. We tend to sort of want one simple story. Um, in the same way that you know, if the stock market goes up or down, reporters will try and say, well, they went up because of this thing that Apple did, or they went down because of some panic in China, when in fact it's like it's millions of different little decisions that yes. happen. And so we, we try and characterize it just to make it a, a simpler story. And sometimes the, the authenticity narrative works pretty well for that. Um, but it's not necessarily the reason that millions of voters did one thing and not the other. Yeah,
1: I mean, really, I guess that's what it becomes, right? It's just it's the nuance story. It's and we all do it. We have to do it, really, to to make sense of it in in the simplest way possible. Mm-hmm. Do 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 we read? I mean, we always hear about a candidate's character, and so a lot of times it seems in my mind it seems like authenticity is tied to their character. Do we read? and just i guess historically you would know better than any of us do we does the electorate read the candidate's character very accurately
5: um it's hard to know what we mean by character and you know it's it's a difficult concept there was um uh, there was a presidential scholar many years ago—I'm trying to remember whose, whose argument this was—who um, had argued that basically in the, in the age of nuclear weapons, um, everything in an election should come down to character. Mm-hmm. That is, a president has the power of life and death over the whole world, and so we should actually be evaluating these candidates for, for their personality. Do, you know, are they the, this, a stable person? Are they a um, the kind of person we would trust with this sort of awesome power? But it's hard to say that we as voters uh, really have the ability to assess how someone is going to act in in various situations. I mean, we see them in front of cameras. We see them in front of crowds. What we really kind of want is a way of assessing how they'll behave behind closed doors, when the lights are turned off, when there's no cameras, and they have to make a really important decision about the fate of our country in the middle of the night. And all we have are just little clues of that. We have little maybe examples from their past behavior, um, but we do our best to, you know, intuit that behavior just from their their public presentations of themselves. But it's, it's really kind of guesswork there.
1: Well, and it's and that's one of the things I see with like a Donald Trump. You can tell when he's when he just got dinged by somebody. Because he has this like reaction <laughs> that you can just sense. I don't know. How, I mean it's just intuitive. You can just sense that, oh, man, he's going to hurt someone right now. He's he's about to go off. Like when it, when he would ask, was asked uh, questions in the debates that he didn't like and then he started kind of getting a little and, um But I guess we can't fully assess it. We can see it in a situation in a debate. We could see a put down here or there. But in the end, isn't the best – judgment wouldn't that just be their record i mean if somebody's been in office for a hillary clinton for example we see a history we pretty much know fairly predictably what she'll do day in and day out as president don't we
5: yeah that's i mean that's a, just a based on her history in my piece that i mean we've been hillary clinton's been under the spotlight for about 25 years yeah. now i mean she's one of the most thoroughly vetted candidates in history And people largely made up their minds about her. They did years ago. They have a really good sense of what she'll do uh, in different types of of decision situations. And chances are, if you don't like her now, you would not like her as president. And if you do, you'd be okay with her as president. Right. Um, There, there are not too many surprises with her.
1: Can that be? Does that change? I mean, it seems like her her pro Hillary, anti Hillary numbers or whatever. They're they've pretty much remained consistent is it is, is it hard for her to change
5: that kind of gut feeling from others? Probably not. I mean, interestingly, you know, one of the I mean, her, her numbers have been actually pretty stable yeah. like, over over the course of her public life. I mean, really since the early 90s she's had approval ratings somewhere in the, you know, the high 40s to low, to low 50s and it's they've been kind of stuck there. The one time they sort of went up um is during part of the time in her career as Secretary of State. Um, and really, that's due to the fact that she was not getting a lot of negative press at the time. Yeah, She was, um, uh, you know, basically, uh, you know, her Republican opponents were not criticizing her heavily. For most of the time, she was representing the country abroad. And then once she becomes a candidate again, yeah, the usual people are defending her and the usual people are criticizing her. So it, it ends up roughly back where where it always was. So
0: mm.
5: it's going to be hard for her to really move that needle much, but in many ways that's where a presidential candidate will be by october of next year anyway right for either party yeah. um you'll you'll have a pretty good sense of who they are and you know someone is not going to probably not going to be overwhelmingly popular or unpopular i mean we're in an era where the the parties at the national level are pretty well matched and it's going to be rare to see anyone getting more than like 53% of the vote or getting less than 47% of it
1: right even if there's – you know, even if they've got great camera presence and they know which camera to look at at the right time, it's not exactly. – it still may not sway it. What should we be looking for then? What, what's a better uh, indicator that – as just the, the electorate, what should we be looking for? If it's not just authenticity, what would be a better predictor of,
5: of who we should be voting for? Well, I mean, it's 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 harder, and it makes for somewhat uh, more difficult reporting. But I mean, really, you want to look for examples of presidential decision making in the candidate's past. Um, with Hillary Clinton, we have some of those. Um, we're we're still getting some details about uh, her decisions during a few crises, uh, particularly during um, the killing of Bin Laden. Um, basically you know it's it 's interesting to learn you know how she did behave, what her reactions were, how she calculated what turned out to be a you know fairly risky but ultimately successful move you know how she calculated that risk yeah. how she assessed it, what she might have done had she had to make the call um, and there you know I assume a number of examples not just with her career but with um, with other candidates um, where you can look to Difficult decisions they've had to make, where they've had to put one set of voters up against the other, or take a gamble that might have worked out well, but also could have worked out very poorly, um, and just sort of get a sense of how they how they assess risk, um, whose side they go with when there's difficult choices to be made. Hmm. Um, that might be harder with someone like Carson, who uh, really you know kind of has no political experience right. at all. Um, But, you know, he can get probably get a a little sense of that from um, from some of his medical stories.
1: Yeah. And um, does just your take on this, because he he keeps being brought up, but uh, Vice President Joe Biden, he's he's kind of notably known as the, you know, the authentic guy. You know, he is just who he is. This is just Joe. I mean, sure, he says dumb stuff, but that's just Joe. <laughs> but is, does yeah, will that change the game any at all?
5: his, his occasional gaff work well for him
1: uh, <laughs> <laughs>
6: totally
5: um but it's also that i mean that's a great example there of, uh uh you know we saw recently um there was a story that came out a few a few months ago I guess it was uh, a Maureen Dowd column in the in the New York Times where uh she had gotten word that you know. Uh, Joe Biden's son, Beau, his dying wish was that his father run for president Mm. this time around. And it turns out that the source of that story was Joe Biden himself, Uh you know, in in an effort to, you know, make his candidacy seem more authentic. I mean, he actually used his
1: His son's dying dying wish,
5: uh, you know, put words in his dying son's mouth. And... You know, had a different candidate done that, we oh. would have seen that as terribly calculating yeah. and awful. And somehow that doesn't stick to no. Biden. Um, so it's not clear exactly what what motivates that sort of thing. And you know, were Biden to actually fully jump in and somehow become the front runner, he would no doubt start getting attacked for various things, and maybe he would come to be seen as, as somewhat less authentic. But. Right now, he's in a, a pretty advantageous position, at least as far as, as image making is concerned. Yeah.
1: Well, do you remember um, the great moment? Uh, I th- they were swearing in the new, I think, Secretary of Defense. And Joe Biden was like, had his arms, his hands on his, the Secretary of Defense's, I can't remember his name, his wife's shoulders, Oh, like, yeah, giving her a back rub or whatever. And I'm like, And everyone's like, they call him crazy Uncle Joe. But all of a sudden, too, it's just so authentic, (laughs) I guess. It's just Joe. It's just Joe being loving. He just feels close to her right then. Isn't that wild? (laughs) Anyway, um, it's a funny world. You got a great job, Seth, because you get to just study it and then go talk to your students about it and then laugh about it and then write a really good article
5: it has been way more interesting than i expected. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, my friend, we'll keep up the great work and uh we'll come back. We'll have you I got to have you on again to to get into some of your other content. You're a wonderful writer. Well, thank you. I'd love to do it. You bet. Thanks again, Seth right. Maskett from the University of Denver. Dr. Seth Maskett. What a guy. Um honestly, folks, uh, it's it's funny that We crave it, don't we? We crave just the average kind of Joe president, but we also want him to be strong. And we have all of these illusions of what the president should be. And the reality is, too, be real. I mean, before they go out on stage or do anything, they're thinking it through, most of them anyway. Maybe not Vice President Biden. He's winging it. Um, Anyway, interesting stuff. Authenticity in your presidential candidates. And by the way, think about it with with yourself. I mean, this makes sense just day to day, too. Are you authentic? And does it really matter? In the end, folks, we'll, t- uh, we'll get more into this. Just give us a, a minute. We'll take a quick break here. Come back, wrap up this discussion. This is The Matt Townsend Show. back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Interesting discussion we just had with Dr. Seth Maskett about uh, your political candidates and and all of our desire. We have this desire that they be authentic. And we think because, you know, they are so well put together that that's just who they are. But in the end, uh, many times, it's not as it appears. It's not what it seems to be. In the political world. By the way, this may not only be in the political world. If we go to uh, what's going on um, in Syria with the ISIS fighters, check out this crazy story that came out of Daily Mail. Um, ISIS fighters apparently are reportedly shaving their beards and dressing up as women in order to flee Syria. So all of these, 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 uh, the migrants, the refugees that are fleeing Syria to to get to supposedly to safer places, um, many many apparently ISIS fighters are reportedly fleeing Syria because Russia now. Remember, we talked about Putin yesterday. Putin wars are on, and Putin's starting to lay down the hammer, and so these ISIS terrorists are scared. They shave their beard and they're finding piles of facial hair like along the road that's been cut off and and you know, discarded, along with packets of razors. And I guess they're disguising themselves um as women. They have veils now, um they're wearing the the normal dress of the women and covering their bodies and themselves up and crossing the border And again, remember, we've talked about the fact that we now are bringing all of these people into all of Europe, and eventually a certain percentage of them will make it to the United States. Now, why aren't they being authentic? You can't just be a terrorist one day and a cross-dressing, fleeing refugee the next. Be
2: very, very quiet. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> I'm shaving my face anyway the crazy world we live in isn't it wild but it's scary reports of fleeing Islamic state jihadists comes as at least 40 members of the group were killed in an airstrike in Hama west central Syria on Sunday so Russia said he'd get in there and rock it <laughs> he is rocking it folks he is now we've got ISIS on the, on the run hey Crazy stuff, isn't it? There's actually pictures of just piles of beard shavings. Blah. So anyway, if you, if you happen to see a female crossing the border that has like five o'clock shadow, I'd stop her. Just stop her. I'd ask a few more questions. I might even, you know, arrest her temporarily just to find out five o'clock shout out we're going to take a break folks that's hour number one of the matt townsend show remember can't do it without you and we're here to give you the information the tools you need you know we could just keep reporting news but we want to get to the experts the pros that have some insight we'll take a break next hour more ideas more fun right here on the matt townsend show The Back to the Future Day. Listen to this.
2: Hi, doc. What's going on, huh? Where are we? When are we? We're descending toward Hill Valley, California. On Wednesday, October 21st, 2015.
1: 2015. 2015. Today at 4:29, apparently they will be landing in what was it? Hill Valley, Mill Valley. California
4: yeah hill valley,
1: hill Valley, California, so be watching for them that was that was the flux capacitor it was it was entered into the flux capacitor that's the date october twenty first twenty fifteen so
0: watch out
1: it finally has arrived anyway, uh back to the future day is today also by the way, apple day today is the day of apples. We all know that an apple a day keeps the doctor away, right Apple Day then celebrates our favorite humble fruit. Not to brag, but I already had my apples today. Mmm, healthy. One healthy dude. Uh, Speaking of health, uh, Seattle landlord gives um, his tenants a $200 monthly discount for being a vegetarian. Ben. Ben. Ben.
2: Oh, was my mic on?
1: Yeah. Oh. Is that you being a vegetarian? Is that what you think a vegetarian
4: sounds like? Well, it's what I sound like when I...
1: Okay, that is a nasty sound. That is not what vegetarians sound like. See, theirs would be crunchier because they would eat healthier whole foods, not some sloppy Joe.
4: Well, it depends how long you cook the carrots, I think.
1: Good point. Seattle... Uh, In Seattle, Washington, you know, it's one of the most expensive places to live in America. It's also one of the healthiest. So one landlord decided to offer his tenants a very specific coupon. Janesh Varia doesn't eat meat, and he's currently a landlord um, for, by all appearances, a lovely townhouse that he's renting out in the Seattle suburb. According to a report by K5 News, Varia will be offering tenants a $200 monthly discount if they stick to a vegan or vegetarian diet. He believes that vegetarian diets are the right to go, um, are the right way to go ethically and morally. He says, "I really believe it, just like no smoking policy that all landlords have today." That we could promote this as a way to spread awareness. So he's trying to, you know, spread awareness by giving a discount to his renters, which is, you know, super cool. The The average rent for a one-bedroom in Seattle area is about $1,615 a month. So he's going to give you a discount. Boom. That's pretty nice. And, again, that's not how vegans or vegetarians eat. Let's be real.
4: No comment.
6: Okay.
1: Just checking. Uh, by the way. Maybe it's not always healthy to, you know, not eat meat. Listen to this. A man was knocked out by hot sauce in a fight over graham crackers. (laughs) Please. (laughs) Ben. Ben, what is the note? Ben, what are you doing? Okay. Got it.
4: I'm playing whack-a-mole. Sorry.
1: Police say a man threw a hot sauce bottle and knocked his victim unconscious in a fight over graham crackers in Florida. (laughs) What is going on with this world? By the way, that story's coming from Florida. Uh, In Riveria, Beach Police said that Sean Thomas was eating graham crackers this week at a church that provides meals for the homeless. And authorities said Thomas became upset when someone asked for his crackers. So he picked up a bottle of hot sauce And he allegedly um, threw it at the man's head, knocking him unconscious.
3: Does it say what kind
1: of hot sauce it was? I think it was, I think it was, uh, it just said picante on it. Okay. So, um, okay. Apparently, the hot sauce continues to ricochet off of a bunch of other things. According to police report, Thomas also punched another man in the throat. By the way, one of the worst punches you can take.
3: Um, If you you want to stop somebody, that's the way to do it. Go with the throat punch.
1: Well, if you can't throw a hot sauce bottle. Well, right, right. uh, When that guy tried to intervene. So Thomas was charged with aggravated battery with a deadly weapon. And uh, apparently uh, we'll not be having any more hot sauce or graham crackers for a while.
6: Yes. He's going to the
1: pokey. but three square meals. Three square meals a day. Hey, we're going to... um, just a fun little update for you, a little uh, news you don't normally get in the news. Uh, we're going to be in just a few minutes talking to John Boytnot, who's a, a journalist and a digital uh, digi- a digital journalist, and he put together a really interesting article that are called that was called "Easy Hacks That Will Make Every Morning Healthier Than the Last," and we're going to go through. Getting some advice from this great journalist about how to make our mornings a little healthier, a little better. Of course, you can always go vegan, vegetarian, or, you know, just graham crackers. Nothing wrong with that. Watch or the hot Because it is Apple Day. Apple Day. Apple Day. Let's go to Terry. Find out what's going on in the headlines. Terry.
3: Good morning. Paul Ryan addressed the issues that face the House of Representatives and talked about what it would take for him to be Speaker of the House. Ryan had some ideas on how to make the Republican House members an effective body of legislators.
2: We need to move from an opposition party to being a proposition party. Because we think the nation is on the wrong path, we have a duty to show the right one. Our next speaker has to be a visionary one.
3: Ryan also wants to fix party rules to allow for better representation and to unify the party before the vote for speaker. Ryan said he would take the speaker job with the understanding that he would take time for his family and he will not fundraise like past speakers of the House. So he'll Yay. take it with condition.
1: That's a great. That's a great pro-family stance. Well done, Paul Ryan. Now he's bulletproof
3: because he has a family. Well, he's still um, got to get elected, I guess. Former Virginia Senator Jim Webb dropped out with just three hundred seventeen thousand dollars in the bank. Hillary Clinton has twenty-five million. That might be one reason. <laughs> other, the other reason might be that most people don't know who Jim Webb is. Political reported that he had an estimated three hundred seventeen thousand on hand. Uh, Trump has eight, or Clinton has eighty times that on hand. Uh, in fact, only Democratic candidate that Webb topped in terms of fundraising was Lincoln Chafee, who raised fifteen thousand dollars and has just two hundred eighty-four thousand on hand. Do you mm. remember uh, Bobby Jindal? Yes. Remember yesterday, you're like asking why is he still running? Yeah, is he still in the race? He is. As this uh, article starts with, all but forgotten GOP presidential candidate. That's not a good line. That's a bad start. If you're running for president. He might skip the next debate. Donald Trump isn't the only Republican presidential candidate who has threatened to skip the next debate because of the rules of how they're <laughs> selecting the, the, the participants. He says uh, the second tier debate. This is for the second tier debate. Yeah. Right. But okay, right. this the, is the, the pregame show yeah. for the actual debate. Right, right. It'll be in Colorado next week if the Republican National Committee and host CNBC don't change the selection criteria for the primetime debate. Right now, the 10 primetime players are chosen based on an average of national surveys. The Washington Examiner reports that Jendel wants the criteria also to count polling of individual early state primaries because he is polling better in those polls sure. than the national but polls. But w- what happens when the committee's like,
6: okay. <laughs>
1: Just, you're fine. Don't, you don't have to show up. I don't know. We'll see. (laughs) It's Bobby Jindal. We'll we'll, well, we'll miss Bobby Jindal. It's an expensive flight from Louisiana to wherever that is. Colorado. Colorado. So he's, that's expensive. Could be tough. So it might be better to just miss this one.
3: Uh, The Ayatollah in uh, Iran. Yes. He has approved the nuke deal. Did he? He did. He did it this morning. Good. So it's done? He went on national TV and he said, I approve this deal. We'll go ahead with this, uh... He was probably the loving the deal. I, I don't know. He, 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 I don't think he emotes no. well on TV. Yeah. But he, that's interesting. He, made he it had soon. previously expressed support for the, uh, their negotiators around the time of the deal, which was re, uh, reached in July. So now it's up to us. Okay. Good luck there. We'll see what happens there. And uh, did you know that uh, Yahoo.com had original content, like original television-type programming? No. Yeah, that was a problem. When? Um, all summer long. Oh, wow. They had, they had three TV shows. They picked up Community, which was a TV show that NBC canceled. Okay. They put that on, and they had two other shows. One was called uh, Sin City Saints, and a show called Other Space. Wow. I'm not sure what those well, are. They're,
1: they're like turning into a Netflix.
3: Well, they're tried. The problem is Netflix has subscription fees. Yahoo is trying to sell advertising based on these shows.
1: Interesting.
3: They took a $42 million write-off yesterday in their video division Ooh. because they lost a lot of money. Wow. And part of the problem was Netflix, when they release a show, they release all the episodes. Mm-hmm. Yahoo was doing it one week at a time.
1: Just to keep you engaged.
3: And the problem with that is you lose track and then forget about the right. show exists. Yeah, you need to, you need
1: happened. binge watching if you want to trap people into your program. So Yahoo tried and... Apparently failed. But it's interesting because Yahoo just some web provider back in the day, remember search engine and now all of a sudden and an email provider, I guess. But yes. now all of a sudden content will trying provider. to See this is they're all reaching, aren't they? They all need to get their in their position.
3: And as this said, Yahoo took a stab at original programming and bombed. Yahoo to the tune of 42 million. So, if Man. you if you like those shows, watch them before they you know what? Let me just can I just throw this out to Yahoo. If you
1: need content right. and you're willing to just write off forty two mil, call me. 1855 <laughs> chat BYU. If you want to burn cash, <laughs> Matt Townsend's available. <laughs> we here at BYU Broadcasting, we can bring you original content. Uh some of it's even good. <laughs> I'm talking about my content. Understood. Some of it's even adequate. And we'll do it for – l lo- I'll, I'll do it for half of forty two mil. I'll do it for twenty mil. I'll do it I'll do it for ten mil. Let it go. go. <sighs> Thanks, Ben.
4: Let it go. Man. I did. I just don't. did.
1: I'm just I'm trying to help. You don't need to waste forty two mil. I'll do it for five mil. <laughs> Give me a call. One eight five five chat BYU. Got a great guest coming up. Do you have a hard time getting up in the morning? Are your mornings not so good? We've got a neat thing going on in my family where I get up about four forty, four fifty in the morning, and I've started to wake my whole family up. I used to just kind of get dressed in the dark, but we decided as a family that we ought to probably get up as a family. So about quarter to six, we get up. Well, they get up. And we have about 15 minutes of family time. We'll have a family prayer. We'll hang out and talk, read scriptures. And they like it. It's early, but they're liking it. How long have they been doing it? Three days. (laughs) Three days. Today's the hardest day they had. (laughs) It was hard. But they like it, and then they go all get stuff done. I have one son that goes running after. I have another that does his homework. I have another that just falls asleep, you know, on the couch. Anyway, one hack that can make every morning healthier than the last. John Boynton will be with us. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Are you a morning person, or do you have a really hard time getting up in the morning? You know, according to our next guest, uh, who's a journalist and digital consultant, John Boytnot has written on many topics throughout the years. But one article that we found, uh, he wrote in Inc. Magazine about, um, you know, basically what you can do in your mornings to to help get a better launch, right? To get, overcome the morning Monday morning blues that uh beat so many of us down. You know, we we're tired, we're rushed, we've got so much stress, we've got so much going on. But uh Mr. Boynton is going to walk us through this article that he wrote. Uh, again, not like he's not a sleep expert. But he is a journalist and has uh and has researched it. And the article's fantastic. We'll put it up on our Twitter page, a link to it so you can go find it. Again, um, John Boitnott is his name and uh he's a writer, a journalist, and a digital consultant. John, welcome uh to the Matt Townsend show.
7: Hey Matt, good morning. How good morning. are you? Good morning.
1: Good. How are you today? It's early.
7: Oh pretty pretty good, you know. Um it's ironic because i I don't think I got enough sleep last
1: night, <laughs> <laughs> didn't you on the night you gotta go talk about this on the air you didn't get enough sleep
7: How? You, know, you know i thought, I thought it almost might be appropriate it would give us something even more to talk
1: about. exactly but, it, it it'll yeah. yeah it'll it'll make this all more realistic um first of all i mean you're a you're a journalist and it's, it's a lot of your you really there's some great stuff that you've written. Um, you can tell you just, you kind of get in and do a little bit of everything. What, what drove you to do an article on, you know, making mornings healthier?
7: Well, I think that, you know, one of the things as a journalist, you're a little bit of a self
5: promoter. Uh, to
6: begin Yeah. With. Yeah.
7: So, yeah. So you, you want to write about the stuff that people, you know, are most interested in. And, and this is one of those subjects that affects almost everybody, if not everybody. So, you want to basically get the biggest audience for whatever you write, so <laughs> as a journalist. So this is the type of thing that I've been interested in anyway for a very long time, and most people are. And so why not write about it? You
1: know? Do you do you suffer from morning blues other than today when you didn't get enough sleep? Are you a morning person? Is this a <laughs> hard time of the day for you?
7: No, I'm. I'm typically not a morning person. I I tend to stay up a little too late and then get up a little bit later yeah. than the. It, which means for me, you know, one 1 a.m. To, to 9 a.m., which is a little bit later than than average. And what what, I've, what has always been recommended to me, what, what I don't do a very good job of following, is something, you know, an hour or two before midnight is when you should head to bed, and then you can feel free to wake up at six or seven a.m. And that, that's something that a lot of people do, and it seems to work for for huge numbers of people. But also for huge numbers of people, what what I've noticed works is is something along the lines of what I do is, is later, and you know. Being involved in the – I'm over here in, in the San Francisco Bay Area mm-hmm. in Silicon Valley, so I'm surrounded by oh. coders and, yeah. and tech people. And they, they, they spend all night burning the midnight oil doing stuff, and so I'm I'm really familiar with people <laughs> who do that, although I don't do that myself. Yeah,
1: but it's – I mean, and I think that's the reality. Everyone's got their own take on how they do this, but I think a lot of us just aren't getting the sleep in, that we need. And so, you know, anything you can do to help us – with uh, a healthier kickstart to the day, what what did you find? What were some of the things that uh, that you talk about that you found w- were most important to to really make sure your morning works?
7: I think that there are some basic things that are really the most important that I've discovered in my research and writing about on these topics, and I think the article that got your attention was specifically about caffeine and, and coffee, yeah, um, and, and how. That's really, there are a lot of people who don't drink it, of course, but there's a huge majority that do. It's it's the number one sort of drink in the country, really. Yeah, probably
1: the right. world, isn't it? I mean, it's like a world, I mean, there's so many people that can't start their day without a cup of joe.
7: Yeah, well, I mean, if you want to, you know, you go to South America, you have something called Yerba Mate. That's right. Their, their, their deal, that's their big, especially if, like, you know, Brazil and Bolivia, you get the central part of... South America, and in the southern part of South America, so you end up, that, their big drink is Yerba you know, Mate, which is from a rainforest holly tree, of all things, uh-huh. and actually has, actually has a really pokey caffeine to it, maybe even more than coffee. Uh, it's starting to get really more and more popular here in the U.S. There are several companies, several U.S. companies that make it um, off of the rainforest holly tree. By the way, I've There's tasted
1: it. Have you tasted beverage. Yerba Mate?
7: So, I had some this morning. I, it, it gets me going even a little bit better than, than coffee. It has sort of a cleaner feel to me. And, and the caffeine high that it delivers doesn't just suddenly drop off at yeah. one point. It kind of gradually dissipates. And that's the big attraction for, for the people who've, who've uh, glommed onto it in, in the U.S. Yeah. and why it's so popular in other, other places. But yeah, I you think know, you're right about about uh, coffee. It is our sort of national national drink. Hmm even though it may not be in all the other places. Right. But it's, um, you know, it, it's basically a tool in your toolbox is the way I like to look at it for you to be able to manipulate your own way to be used to be the most effective in your day. And that's going to vary for, it, it, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you shouldn't you shouldn't drink coffee. Well, I'm not going to go that far. I don't think that that necessarily makes sense. If you're having one to two cups of coffee a day and you're not getting any of those classic too much coffee symptoms, then why stop? Why, well, you know, why not? There's plenty of evidence that indicates that it's very beneficial, helps with creativity, and, and helps you along with your day. So why why get rid of something that may be pretty darn good for you? And is it
1: because too, That's what it seems like most people are using it for in the morning is to kind of get that jolt, to kind of just get the wake up, get the cobwebs out of your head, and get yeah. going.
7: Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think the problems start to happen when you utilize it at all other hours of the day and night, and you start to alter your brain chemistry with too many cups. That's, I think most doctors will tell you that once you start to get past a couple cups, then you're starting to get into a territory that that may mean addiction, may not be necessarily all that great for you. And that's that's what I've heard over and over again, time and time again, from different different doctors. Very, very few of them will recommend not not having coffee and you know there's a lot of evidence that coffee actually doesn't even dehydrate you at all um, some people have said that to me over the years and it's actually not true it doesn't dehydrate you hmm. there's a mild diuretic effect but it, it doesn't really uh, it doesn't really you know dehydrate you at all so I mean, the, the whole coffee thing is one thing the other is obviously the sleep which I did so well with this morning <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then uh, there's also uh, water which is really sort of the replacement drink that actually wakes you up maybe not as well as coffee or caffeine would, but it, it it's the natural way that your body uh, over the millennia has gotten used to waking up in the morning when it has had a, a, a good night's sleep.
6: I mean, you,
1: you need the – I guess that's kind of the balance of it. So you get the little jolt of, of energy from the caffeine or um, – but what what are other ways that you found to to get a jolt i mean there's got to be additive I mean, it's really interesting like my so i've i've just barely started waking my kids up around i mean about an hour to an hour and a half earlier than they're all, they're normally getting up and we do it cuz i leave early and we want to spend some time together but i found that two of my kids said dad you have to you have to get me out of my bed standing so yeah. Because what I found is so I and I have two sons that share a room and I lift one of them up and I lift the other one up and then they kind of end up leaning on each other in the middle of the room, um, <laughs> but it makes it makes you have to have something that gets the energy flowing, and and if it's I guess yeah. one is caffeine but what are what are other things that you found to to get energized.
7: Well, one of them is certainly not having a morning pastry. I mean,
6: like,
7: <laughs> they, I and don't get me wrong, I love a, a good pastry, but I I can't eat them. Why? Because they do nothing but slow me down. Right. You can't have that Krispy Kreme. You can't have that donut in the morning. I mean, there are probably people listening to your show right now who have a donut in their hand, and that's perfectly fine.
1: Nothing wrong not with donuts. Too much
7: de- yeah, yeah, I mean, right. it's not so much you never have it, it's, it's, you've got to try and limit it. So what, there's a lot of different types. You have to eat smart, you have to eat lighter in the morning, is what i found for yeah. me that works better. So to get that short, short burst of energy, you go for the sugar and the carbohydrates, but you just have to recognize in the back of your mind that it's it's going to rise you up, it's going to give you that, that, that burst of energy real quick, but then it's going to be followed by a crash, mm. and you're going to feel tired. And, and that's part of the reason why people do have caffeine, but even caffeine... Even the coffee gives you that quick rise, and then you will eventually sort of crash suddenly. And that's one of the reasons why people do like the yerba mate that we mentioned, right? Um, because it has a slow dissipating um, you know, dissipation of the of the high, and it just sort of evaporates. It does, and it takes a while to do that. And it's, it's kind of a like sudden drop.
1: It, what you almost need too is once you get up. I found, and you mentioned this in your article, that get the a fast way to fuel yourself up is just get in your routine get into whatever you're going to do get on a walk if you're going to do meditating or dancing or go outside for yeah. fresh air or yoga because once you get in your body almost naturally will start to kick it up and kick it in um and it may take you a while but once your body's creating the energy then then you know then you're running then you're making it happen yeah
7: I think that to some – so what I do is this. I, I sort of – I like to view myself as a hacker or whatever. This thing. So there's several options there. There's the getting up and, and having breakfast or making breakfast for the kids type of thing. That is something that engages your mind and gets you going. Yeah. That's something that will take up a half an hour to an hour of your time, and then you, you have to get, to the, get them to – up to wherever they need to get to, up to school. Um, another thing that uh, I've seen, and a lot of doctors have recommended to me to – Recommended it to me right away is, is the water thing. So you should have one to two glasses within the first half hour to hour of waking hmm. up is is the different thing that I, the different the range that I've heard from different doctors that I've talked to. The reason the reason being that a it wakes up your body, b it's really good for your internal organs, um, c you've actually possibly lost around a pound of water while sleeping at night if you have slept for seven eight nine hours, which should, which. Comes even before all that, which is the underlying thing that's really important for most people. Is that seven, eight, nine hours, of right, sleep, which is right. really hard for most people to get. But you lose a, through breathing and through sweating. You you lose uh, usually um, almost up to a, a pound of, of water. So you want to replace that right away, um, and that also helps your your organs wake up. What I've found is I don't want to immediately go too fast. I want to immediately get into a groove. But I don't want to uh, immediately jump start myself and go at full speed. That's yeah. never jolt, jolting yourself that way isn't the best option, although sometimes you you can do that if you absolutely need to.
1: Yeah, so you can just ramp up. The water thing's a big I haven't thought of that, but if you are breathing, you're you're breathing moist air from your lungs and that's yeah. you're evaporating basically. Your water's yeah, evaporating yeah, out your mouth. It's kind of a weird <laughs> idea.
7: Well, it has to do with breathing out the carbon dioxide and breathing in the oxygen. And breathing in the oxygen, the oxygen molecules are, are lighter than the, than the carbon dioxide molecules that you're breathing out. It's a pretty uh, complex thing, and there's probably uh, somebody all science can <laughs> who can explain it a lot better than me, but that's one aspect of it. And then the other aspect of it is the actual sweat. You know, a lot of times you're sweating, you don't even realize it, and, it's, and, and your skin is drying before you realize that you're even sweating. And so... That's why you may notice that you, if you weigh yourself when you get up in the morning, um, you're lighter than you were when you went to bed. Yeah. Um. You know, eight, nine, eight, whatever, how many hours before. So that so that sort of explains all that. And in order to get, you know, your circulatory system, your digestive system going, I mean, you, you may want to, I'll talk about something dangerous to talk about, but you may want to have a couple eliminations during yeah. your morning hours each day. I mean, doctors have always recommended to me, Hey, you want to make sure that you poop several times that's a right. day, and you know, so that that's part of what will allow your body to after You basically fasted for you know six, seven, eight, nine hours, however long it is. Um, hopefully, more than that, because doctors also recommend you shouldn't eat three hours before you go to bed, and they recommend you shouldn't <laughs> have the screens on whatever. Your that's phone right. Maybe whether it's your iPad or your iPhone or your TV, you shouldn't have that on for two, three hours before you go to bed. So I mean, there's this huge long litany of all sorts of ways that we can do this wrong but,
6: <laughs> that's right.
7: but uh, you know as long as you're trying as long as you're thinking about it as long as you're doing something it you know on all these things and right? you
1: have to figure out I your mean, code don't, don't you think i mean don't yeah. you think every human has their own code of what works for you what doesn't work for you and but but i mean that's great advice like just just go slow figure it out but find out like, I know I shouldn't eat past seven or I'm going to end up feeling it. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, the mere fact that, you know, if you're ever going to really check check your weight and test your weight, don't do it after you just went to have the rib fest at the local restaurant. <laughs> do it yeah. in the morning after, you know, two eliminations and, you know, your early morning weight loss. You'll feel great about yourself. Yeah, I
7: think you mentioned uh, meditation earlier. Yeah. You know, getting into the whole idea of checking in with yourself and knowing what's going on with yourself, I think that one of the big things about so many of us is we're running around so fast throughout our day that we're kind of doing everything reactionary, like we're we're sort of something happens, you react to it, you get your things done. Um, If you meditate, if you insert I've gotten so much advice in all this area over all these, in this particular area for all the years. Um, One of the things that that resonates best with me is maybe 15, 20 minutes in the morning of sitting and, and, and relaxing, um, you know, in a relaxed position and watching your breath and sort of allowing your, your thoughts to pass by. That's a meditation thing. Doing 15 to 20 minutes of it in the morning and then 15 to 20 minutes in the evening. I know some people who just do 10 minutes during the day or a half an hour once a day or a, an hour once every two days, or everyone has their own thing. I think the important thing with meditation, people get sort of wrapped up in, in, in the rules of things, and that sort of turns them off a little bit. The same way with yoga, you know, with all these different poses and the downward dog and the warrior one and all those things, people sort of say, well, I don't want to get on the mat and have to go through that whole, right. you know, litany of rules. That right?
1: fiasco, right.
7: What works for me is, and it varies from day to day, I, I sit down and I stretch, I'll stretch and I'll have, I'll even just have hot water. I talked to a, 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 one of the yoga people that I know out here in, in California, and what he does is he just has hot water, which really uh, is soothing to the, to the organs. It's an Eastern medicine deal, right? You mm. know, the, yeah. The, you know, the Chinese and, and Eastern medicine, just hot water, boiling water, you sort of let it simmer a little bit and it's just hot water. Uh, it's really soothing on the organs, really healthy for the stomach, really calms that. That whole digestive system down and that's a good good thing and it rehydrates you yeah
6: oh yeah and it rehydrates you too i mean
1: it really these are just that's what's cool about uh the work you do as a journalist is you're you're constantly just aggregating more and more ideas to healthier life happier life i mean (laughs) it's not brain surgery is it it's just but you gotta you gotta investigate you gotta be willing to keep looking for the right answer
6: Oh, yeah, there's
7: so many different things. I mean, there's the, the little water trick I just told you about. There's taking the cold shower, which is, I have a, I have a girlfriend of mine who's, who's Finnish, from from Finland, um, and one of their big things over the, you know, culturally, over many hundreds of years, is to take the cold shower that really oh, wow. wakes you up and yeah. internally wakes up your organ, supposedly. Now, I have to admit, I don't do that. I like to do the, the hot shower, yeah. and I think that a lot of us are, are, you know, that's sort of our thing more. Then there's something like, you know, you're having a tough time waking up in the morning. If you have a window, hopefully you have a window in your bedroom, yeah. light outside, you know, part the curtain and let that light in because that signals your brain, oh, hey, t- time to wake up. Hmm. Time to no longer produce uh, sleep-inducing chemicals like melatonin. Time to actually get up and do my thing. I- I've sat there in my bed not wanting to get up, but I've parted the curtain and let all the light in, and I've, I have much more easily yeah. been able to myself into the day so there's just so many different things
1: nature's way of waking you up that's great good stuff
7: yeah i even i even have one article that i did just on coffee alternatives which probably got more shared on the social media and out in the world than anything else
1: what what are and, some uh, other coffee alternatives
6: <laughs> if you can remember uh, them I, yeah yeah Oh, sure. well, uh, you got
1: mate
7: you got the monte. You have uh, probiotic drinks, which are becoming more and more popular, which are very good for your for your gut, yeah. your gut biome. So a lot of people are getting very into that. My uh, The hot water, which I mentioned, um, which these things are all going to sort of wake up your organs, especially. They're not going to give you that jolt the way that the coffee will, but they will get you there. You just have to be a little bit more patient. Um, and then also a lot of organic herbal teas or just herbal teas you know yeah. a lot of different ones everything from oolong tea to um you know uh strawberry leaf tea to hibiscus to uh you know fennel to uh peppermint to all, all these different herbal teas and and you'll you'll find a long list if you do a google search really quick but
1: coconut water really awesome. you put coconut water on the oh, list
7: I sure did yeah, coconut water is great because it has that potassium, which is which is very good for uh, which is very good for your circulatory yeah. system and your heart and, and all that. And I've I've been a fan of coconut water for a while. Hmm. That's one that uh, they they have in some workplaces that they'll give you for for free in some offices. Yeah. So
1: plus there's 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 hot apple cider. I mean, who who couldn't do that? Yeah, mm. exactly. Especially yeah. in the fall. So,
7: I would, yeah, totally. You can have a, a nice variety of yeah. different things.
1: Well, well, one we, final thing. About oh, yeah, go ahead. That,
7: uh, doc, well, yeah, doctors have mentioned basically that the first hour or two of the day, that's not necessarily when you're going to be working straight away at your computer or whatever your job is. And so you're not necessarily going to need as much mental acuity. You're not necessarily going to need right away. You're not going to need to be really on your game right away. Your boss won't be watching your work as soon as you get up in the morning. So, again... If you have coffee and you love coffee, that should be something that you bring into your day around 10 or 11, not necessarily at 8 or 9. Right. Yeah, bring
1: it in when you need it.
7: Use it as a tool in your toolbox. You don't necessarily need to have
6: it all the time. Yeah.
1: We, we had a doctor on the show that also said that if you're if you're consuming caffeine, if you like caffeine and you really want to sleep at night, you ought to wrap it up or, or wind down the caffeine around 3 to 4 because it it will linger. And, yeah.
7: uh I've had, I've had a lot of doctors say something similar like yeah. that, too.
1: It's a big deal. And part of that, like you said earlier, is just knowing your body, knowing how caffeine impacts your body or Dunkin' Donuts impacts your body or anything impacts yeah. your body, and then learn and adapt and get smarter, right?
6: And,
7: you know, one thing that doctors have always said to me, too, is you know, there's obviously Dr. Peppers of the world and Pepsis and Cokes and all, and all that. Your, your big soft drinks, which, which are filled with caffeine. A lot of people are pretty you know, heavily addicted to multiple, multiples of those per day. Sure. So if there's any way that you can spread that out so that you can still get your Pepsi fix or whatever it may be, you can spread that out and, and get some other, other stuff in there. Um, one nutritionist friend of mine told me he had one patient of his who was in pretty, pretty difficult shape and who drank nothing but Dr. Pepper for ten of them the day didn't even have water oh wow just had the Dr. Pepper yeah so that was a pretty
1: yeah that's a, a pretty, bad um, it's a bad sign <laughs> yeah i mean nothing against yeah, Dr. You're Pepper you're on the wrong track that's right it's the it's the moderation in all things um john we appreciate you john boynots his name uh great uh, writer at ink uh, magazine and um he's he really it's fun it's fun to have experts that that can go out and research and get all these ideas for us John Boytnot. look him up. Um, tons of other articles that uh, you can go sort through. We'll take a break. When we come back, uh, continue the discussion. We're, we we got to get back to the uh, Back to the Future info. This is the day, folks. Today is the day that they set the DeLorean to appear today. It's they're coming, folks. Four twenty nine today. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. It's Back to the Future Day. Today's the day. October 21st, 2015 at 429 today. They will be landing in where? Uh, Mill Valley, happy... Hill Valley. Hill Valley. Hill Valley, California. If you live in Hill Valley, if that is a real place, it's not- be careful. Stay out of the road because a car will appear. You'll know it because you'll be on fire. And sonic booms. Yeah. Sonic booms. So we are going to do, I guess, um, some some lesser-known facts.
3: You're you're testing us. No, I'm just going to share facts with you about the the, making of Back to the Future, the original movie. Sweet, sweet. and how it almost didn't happen. Really, some of the problems they had, some of the adjustments they made to the script, and some of you know tragedy. Where where. This happens probably to every movie. You have rewrites. Yeah. You start out with one idea, and by the time you're done, it's a completely different movie. Right, right. And that's kind of what some of this uh, that I found looked into. So every studio in in Hollywood rejected the movie. Really? It wasn't raunchy enough. <laughs> that's pathetic. The movies that were popular at the time for teenagers... Yes. Uh, Porky's, <laughs> Fast Times at Ridgemont High, yeah, and raunchy, Risky Business. Raunchy, raunchy, raunchy. And they wanted more... Kids Ronch. were teenagers to get into the theaters. That's what was attracting them, so they wanted more of that. Meanwhile, this movie was about time travel, and there were movies called Time Bandits, Time Bandits, yeah. The Final Countdown, and Somewhere in Time, mostly underperformed in theaters. So they were like, "Yeah, another time travel movie. We don't want this. No, we need we need more. Give us raunch, this other type of movie." And <laughs> is raunch the word? So the, that's what they used in here. The only mo- the only theater or uh, group that wanted him was Disney. Yes, of because course. It, but they put it through like tone, mm-hmm. some other movie house, so it didn't have the castle and the, right. the mouse ears. Um, but they didn't want a movie where a guy has an awkward kiss with his mother. Ooh, good that's, point. That's, that's what that's happens a really, in the first movie, right? That's a really good point. So, oh, oh, oh. Yeah. that's wrong. So after some discussion, and they they hired the right director, right. and Things work.
1: You can always you can just take it out. Take out the kiss. It's just an awkward but you can situation. They make it like, yeah, mom, just
3: yeah. Apparently, uh, many different people were considered for the fur the uh, lead actor spot okay. for Michael J. Yeah. Fox. He wasn't available for the movie at the time. He uh, the he, the producer of the hit sitcom Family Ties wouldn't let Fox see the script. Oh, he was tied up. He yeah. was, you remember yeah, Family I remember. Ties? Don't mess with him. He was a gold mine. It was a go- yeah. So the cast they 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 put out a wide net, brought in a bunch of different actors. Uh, Johnny Depp, John Cusack, Charlie Sheen were all looked at. Um, They did some screen tests with pop star Corey Hart, but he turned them down. At one point, they started to get desperate. They uh, were looking around. Uh, Was it Robert Downey Jr. was one of the ones that were looked at? And they just said, I don't think these boys are right.
1: It's not right. Something's not right. For
3: Marty McFly. They were able to make some deals, and Michael J. Fox became available. A guy named Eric Stoltz was actually picked to play the part. Okay. He played it for four weeks. He actually he, he got pretty the movie. Mi- pretty much all of that movie. stuff was reshot after Michael J. Fox was brought in. You're kidding. Uh, one scene of the finished movie, you you they think that the hand you see in the scene that's supposed to be Marty McFly's is actually Stoltz's hand, not Michael J. Fox's oh, hand. Oh, so he got so, a hand
1: modeling fee.
3: Yeah. <laughs> but uh, the problem was that Stoltz wasn't a comedian. So he couldn't deliver the lines in sort of a comfortable sort of sure. tone. And it... it started getting really dark, I guess, with the way he was portraying the characters, so they had to start over. Okay, a do-over. Had this be, isn't working. Had to be funny. It says, Stoltz got hung up on how terrible and sad it is that Marty McFly winds up remembering a different past than all the other people he loves, and uh, everyone else remembers a life that Marty didn't live. Right, because when he comes back, yeah, yeah, his family's awesome, and he's like, oh, and he just goes with it. But there's all that past those people remember. That's right. And Stoltz got hung up on that, and I guess couldn't get past. Well, yeah, or something. then you lose your then you lose your motivation and as an actor. He, they so. said he was Stoltz was way too method. Yeah, he refused to answer to Eric on set and insisted that everyone call him Marty. You know what? Stoltz reminds me a lot of Ben. A little too much. You know a what I mean? Over the top. Too method. Too. To Marty, <laughs> and then it said that when he had to shove Biff Tannen in one of the scenes, uh-huh. he did it. He kept doing it hard enough. He left bruises on that actor. Oh, way to go! Sounds like oh. bruising Biff. But chill out, dude. That's a whole other movie, by the way. Have you guys seen Bruising Biff? No. Great movie. Uh, Doc Brown originally had a pet chimpanzee <laughs> oh, named Shimp. But doesn't that make sense? That's that would fit. That makes sense. Maybe the problem was is the director looked at. It, he goes every movie that has a chimp in it doesn't do well.
1: Oh yeah, the chimp. That's called the chimp factor.
3: The the director, uh, Zemeckis, pointed out that Every Which Way But Loose was popular, but they said that was an orangutan.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's different.
3: So then they changed the pet to the dog <laughs> named Einstein. <laughs> okay. Oh, that's right. I forgot
1: about Einstein.
3: Einstein. <laughs> yeah. The dog. He's You need out an with... animal. Right. Right. The original script called for the time machine to just be a machine in the back of a pickup truck. Oh, really? Just a, yeah, kind of a junker, but the machine's in the back. I get it. Cool. And and so instead of having to harness the power from a lightning bolt strike to a clock tower, Marty and Doc have to bring the truck to a nuclear bomb test site and wait for an explosion to go off. Because, you know, you'd know when that was because right. that's a matter of history. Oh, that's they it. They just go out there and hang out and wait. Ah, interesting. They said they sitting around to wait to get nuked wasn't an, an exciting enough conclusion to their story. <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy. They had to build a special speedometer for the DeLorean. Okay. In 1979, Jimmy Carter signed a law that said car speedometers could only go up to 85 miles per hour to try and discourage people from speeding. That law revoked in the late 80s, but when Back to the Future was made, that was still how cars were being built. So they had to make a special speedometer that would go past 85 (laughs) because it had to get to 88, right? Yeah, right. And then they also had a digital speedometer put in so you could have the obvious 88 miles an hour. Way to go, man. Governor or President Carter just about ruined the entire movie. About ruined it. The original uh, uh, film was first was supposed to be called uh, "Spaceman from Pluto." Really, the uh, I think that I think the new one works better. Back to the Future. Yeah. the uh, The writer hated that title. He said it didn't make any sense. How do you go back to the future?
1: It doesn't make any sense. So he
3: wrote a memo saying that the film needed a catchier title. He suggested Spaceman from Pluto, which is the title of a comic book that you see Marty McFly holding in his hand. Interesting. And, uh, you know, when he's, remember when he's wearing the uh, radiation suit, yeah, and he's sure. got the headphones, he's holding that comic book. So, Do you remember uh,
1: in the movie somewhere there was like um, – But
3: actually in the comics it's called Space Zombies from Pluto. So just to be specifically over the yeah, top Well, you want to be correct in right. case there
1: are any um, – And there will be. Geeks that are listening. Um, but remember in somewhere there was he was standing in front of a theater and the jaws 19 was playing. Yes. Played by uh but produced or directed by Steven Spielberg's supposed son.
3: Yes, like Bruce Spielberg or but something. But tell me
1: that hasn't come true cuz we have Sharknado. Well, yeah. you know what I mean? There's different There's how movies. many jaws movies? 5 or whatever, 4. Anyway, and Sharknado. So
3: Jaws goes to summer camp. Yeah. This is cool. So Zemeckis, in a panic, went to Steven Spielberg, who cooked up the perfect response. They wrote in a memo back saying, thanks to the writer for all his suggestions and appreciated his funny Pluto joke. The writer was too embarrassed to admit that he wasn't joking. I wasn't joking. So they just moved on. They just kind of stepped (laughs) on again. Back to the Future 2 is supposed to take place in the 60s. Yeah. Not in 2015. Right? So yeah. they were supposed to go back right. and then move ahead just a little bit right. instead of all the way. They decided to that, scrap that, that idea. That didn't work. They got rid of the first movie's designer because he'd worked on Blade Runner. <laughs> when he decided to visit the future world of 2015 for the second movie, Zemeckis decided not to bring back Larry Paul who had been a production designer for Back to the Future. Paul had earned an Oscar nomination for his work in uh, Blade Runner. And he was worried that Paul would want to push his version of 2015 in too dark and Orwellian direction. Yeah, we don't want that. It's got to be fun. It's got
1: to be fun. It's got to be light. The future needs to be
3: fun. The original Marty McFly's brother actually becomes an alcoholic. Oh, really? So that's a little dark.
1: Yeah. Does it – does it – but who did become – oh, Biff. The brother? Biff. Didn't one of them become a little messed up? Oh, Biff. Biff was a bully, wasn't he? A little, yeah. Wasn't he a drinker? Well, they all were.
3: Yeah, when, in the future, yeah. when he comes back yeah. and he has the casino and yeah, so everything's crazy. that in there. When sorry. Marty visits a bleak alter, alternate to 85, he runs into his brother who becomes a down-on-his-luck alcoholic. This scene involves fires and a lot of extras. It was shot, but test audience wondered what happened to Marty's sister and uh, ended up that she was supposed to be pregnant, but they cut that out of the scene. It, just, it was really too dark. It went yeah. too far. Yeah, you don't want to go... Stop being fun. And then they came up with the perfect ratio for futuristic world building. The designing of the future of 2015, designer Jim, John Bell came up with the 1585 rule, which was a ratio of unrecognizable elements to recognizable elements. What? That's oh. how you make it look like the future. Oh,
1: yeah, because you got to have a ratio. You got to have enough things so to see he, and recognize. He
3: designed a Federal Express mailbox. He made it look like a standard postal service mailbox, except with a digital interface where you could input your mailing information. So you could easily figure out what the device was, yeah, even though it was new. Yeah. So you try to mix the yeah. old and the new together just enough so it's just changed enough that it looks like maybe it is the future this is a lot of you've read a lot about this i just read this one article no come on no seriously there's one on. article. you've been reading the books okay yeah I'm hitting the books and this is all out of a uh, a book i believe let me reference it it's called back to the future or the uh the making of the back to the future trilogy wow guy went really in depth on the book wow. someone summarized it in two pages yeah there you yeah. go nothing wrong with that <laughs> nothing wrong with that <laughs> Ben, did you get all
1: that?
4: I took notes.
1: Have you even seen the movie, Ben? I've seen all three. Have you?
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Do you like it?
4: All yeah. I
3: think the first one's the best, but... You like sure. the third one where they're in the old west? I mean,
4: it's good, but not yeah. nearly as good as the first one. All right. all right. Geeks.
3: Do you get kind of hung up with the fact that they made two and three at the same time?
4: I actually didn't know that.
3: Yeah, it's kind of... Well, if you're a purist. If you're a purist, you would know. You would know these things. If you had the poster on your wall in your room,
1: you'd know.
4: And I think you're a closet geek. Uh,
1: oh, I'm, no. I'm, I'm a geek, no doubt about it. But I just don't get into movies
3: like this. So do you think it would have been as good a movie with a pickup truck with a machine in the back? No. That was the time machine versus a DeLorean.
1: Back then, the DeLorean was it. I mean, that was a cool car.
3: Yeah. Whoever made that decision... Changed the world. That won the movie because there was there was a DeLorean. Sure. I mean, they had
1: the scissor doors, whatever, that opened The go wing doors yeah, pop up, yeah. Totally, amazing. Amazing! Okay, now you're informed. Don't say we didn't inform you. In fact, in that case, we may have over-informed you. We'll take a break, folks. Hour number two of the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back. More ideas, more tools to help you find the good in the world and in the future. Stick with us. We'll be right back. the day, if you uh, if you've seen Back to the Future, today's the day that they set uh, the flux capacitor to to October twenty first, twenty fifteen, at four twenty nine p.m. It's happening, folks. It will be landing uh, in California. The DeLorean, today. Welcome by the way. Happy Back to the Future Day. Also, some other days we're celebrating today. You don't want to lose these Reptile Awareness Day, which is about, uh, you know, to be aware of the habitat loss and threat of extinction of uh many reptiles in the world, you know. And you can see it if you just watch TLC. <laughs> they're they're pulling more gators out of uh Out of the water, then, I mean, you don't know where they're all coming from. So happy Reptile Awareness Day. Also, happy Apple Day. An apple a day. Keeps the doctor away. And we've uh, some happy news, I guess, if you're into the political world. Paul Ryan says he's going to run. But there are some conditions that that must be met. And uh, here's just a few of them.
2: We need to move from an opposition party to being a proposition party because we think the nation is on the wrong path. We have a duty to show the right one. Our next speaker has to be a visionary one.
1: We are about propositions, not just opposition. He wants to see more proposals coming out of Congress.
2: We need to update our House rules so that everyone can be a more effective representative. This is, after all, the people's house, but we need to do this as a team, and it needs to include fixes that ensure that we do not experience constant leadership challenges and crises.
1: We need to make the rules so we're not always, you know, threatening to throw out the leader, because if I'm about to be the leader, I don't want those old rules where you can keep, you know, pulling me along.
2: We as a conference should unify now and not after a divisive speaker election.
1: Let's get her done now. He's it's, it's smart. He doesn't have to do this. He'd rather go back to the Ways and Means Committee, but he's like setting this if you want me. And by the way, you got to decide by Friday because I've got a really big weekend and I need to know. And my favorite of all of them is um, the personal requirements to serve.
2: I cannot and I will not give up my family time. I may not be in, on the road as often as previous speakers, but I pledge to try and make up for it with more time communicating our vision, our message. What I told members is. If you can agree to these requests, and if I can truly be a unifying figure, then I will gladly serve.
1: There you go. He'll do it. But you got till Friday. Decide. Under those conditions. And you're going to have to raise your own money, because I'm not here to raise money for you. I got to be with my kids. We got scout camp coming up. You know,
3: I'm going to coach a little league team. But we've already heard people saying he's not conservative enough, that Ryan is not conservative enough for America. Then don't vote him in. <laughs> don't vote him in. This is why, fine. You know, Boehner will stay. He's
1: fine. <laughs> no, all the conservatives are like, ugh, okay. Paul Ryan's not so bad. And he won't help us raise money, but whatever. Anyway, that's cool. Congrats to Paul Ryan. Um, and we, we got to talk about this. In kind of I don't know what you call it. No! Just kind of the dough file. If you're going to be a pretend to be a cop and you pull someone over, just a rule. Like don't pull over a cop. You know what I mean? That's pretty good, yeah. That's a good tip. <laughs> By the way, this story out of the Florida panhandle, an Escambia county man. <laughs> They're making these county names up. No, they're not. Okay. Was arrested Friday and charged with posing as a law enforcement officer after he pulled over an actual deputy. Joshua Lyman, 24, of Milton, had red and white lights installed in his pickup truck, and he pulled behind a deputy from Escambia County Sheriff's Office who was riding in an unmarked vehicle. By the way, I guess a police vehicle, unmarked. Oops. Oops. Uh, the Pensacola, Pensacola News Journal says the officer saw the emergency lights and he pulled over to the side to let him go by. Sergeant Andrew Hobbs told the press Lyman um, pulled up behind him and pretty much did a traffic stop. Uh, excuse me. Do you, know, do, do you know why I pulled you over? Uh, actually, no, I don't. According to Hobbs, he, officials arrested uh, Lyman after the deputy requested to see his identification and he could not present it. <laughs> oh, jeez. Anyway, I'm going to need to arrest you now. So I'm going to get out of my vehicle and I will now arrest you.
3: This was fun. Now put your hands on the car. (laughs) Now, it's interesting in Florida, the uh, Freedom of Information uh, Acts, I don't know the exact name for it, but the media is able to use the the laws There are very liberal in Florida. So all the police records are open. They're public knowledge type things. Right. So the media is able to get in there and find these stories, whereas in other states, it's very closed. So that's why we get so many Florida stories when that's we go it. to these sort of crazy things that's that are it. going
1: on. That's exactly why.
3: And it makes them look bad. But... See,
1: other states keep these secrets to themselves. Right. Smart. Just protect your. Protect I like the city. Florida's open laws because it makes our show a lot better. <laughs> I like to tell these stories because, I mean, you think you got it bad. Yeah, You can't even be a bad criminal. You'll end up pulling
3: a cop over. You're lucky you didn't get tased. Or hitting somebody in the head with a bottle of hot sauce over a fight yeah. over graham crackers. you got to be careful.
1: you got to be careful. Anyway, uh, coming up on uh, the show in just a few minutes, we're going to be talking to Kenneth Worthy, who's going to be uh, enlightening us about recycling. You know, you may think that throwing your plastics into a blue dumpster means that you're recycling, right? Just if you put them in that little blue recycle bin, it says right on it. It says, recycle. it says recycle, right? But is what's really going on, and is that really saving Mother Earth? Self-moral
3: licensing is going on.
1: Should you should you feel good about yourself just because you threw because you think you're recycling?
3: I did my part. The I bottles part. in the blue bucket.
1: We're going to talk about it. The you know Blow up some of the myths, help you understand a little bit better what's really going on when it comes to the recycling movement and the self-deceptions about
3: recycling. But first, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Good morning. Republicans have high expectations for Donald Trump in 2016. Not only is Trump still leading the Republican presidential candidate... Or he's a leading candidate in the polls. A new ABC News Washington Post poll out Tuesday revealed that he's also the leading candidate in categories of most likely to win GOP nomination and best chance to win the general election. A whopping 42% of Republicans think that Trump is most likely to win the nomination. 43% think he's the party's best shot at winning in the general election. The second place candidate, Ben Carson, lags behind Trump at 27%. With only 15% seeing him as the most likely chance to win the White House. His only weakness revealed in the poll were his uh, honesty and trustworthiness, as well as his personality and temperament, categories which he trails Ben Carson in. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think there's any surprises there, but best chance to win the general election. I found that interesting. New York uh, police officer, a New York police officer died Tuesday night after he was shot in the head in East Harlem. Officer Randolph Holder. 33 was responding to reports of gunshots with other officers assigned to uh, patrol public housing when they encountered encountered a man riding a bike. The suspect exchanged fire with the officers, struck Randolph in the head. Holder is the fourth New York Police Department officer to be killed in the line of duty in the last Mm. 11 months. The back and forth between Jeb Bush and Donald Trump on whether George W. Bush is to blame for September 11th attack continues, this time with Bush writing an op-ed in the National Review accusing Trump of having dangerous views on national security issues. By looking at Trump's previous statements about foreign policy and leaders, Bush says it's easy to see that he is in over his head. Hmm. (laughs) So watch that fight continue. Here we go. It's interesting. Uh, The magazine Texas Monthly has found out that the word Texas is used to signify something that is out of control or chaotic or crazy in Norway. Really? Yes. They use the word Texas to mean crazy. Well, don't go all Texas on me. (laughs) In Norwegian, the context involves the phrase Darvat Helt Texas, which I probably just said wrong. Uh, Did I say – did that come close to German at all? Norwegian? Norwegian. Darvar Helt Texas Detval I don't know. Really? I'm just making stuff up here. It translates roughly is to it totally, absolutely, or completely bonkers.
1: Well you lived in Texas. I
3: did. How does that make you feel? I I lived there and then I moved. You would never use Texas to mean crazy. Because you wouldn't call a person totally Texas. It usually (laughs) describes a chaotic atmosphere, Texas Monthly explains. The expression, which apparently dates back several decades, gives insight into how Scandinavians understand the Lone Star State. Texas equals cowboys, which equals the Wild West, which equals an unpredictable, exciting, sometimes scary atmosphere. True that. If you watch the movies, that's the way the Cowboys. If you've seen were a Cowboys game. This isn't just some internet joke. Actually, people are quoted dropping the adjective in interviews. Like the time a fisherman told the local news about catching a rare swordfish. He says, <laughs> "I got to see some of it before I took up a camera. The like, government to take a picture yeah. of it. He finished it off by saying it was totally Texas. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That's cool. Texas has its
1: own slang language. Yeah, Cray in for, other countries. For crazy. Congrats to Texas. Good job, Texas. Well done. Well, well done on the news. Let's uh, let's do this. Let's take a break and come back. We're going to be talking to Dr. Kenneth Worthy, who's going to walk us through the self-deceptions of recycling. It's important, right? We want to take care of Mother Earth, and uh, and yet sometimes we may be deceiving ourselves into thinking we're doing more than we really are. You may even be printing more pages simply because you know— You can recycle now, right? Maybe we ought not be printing pages in order to save paper. We'll see. Talking to Dr. Kenneth Worthy, uh, who's going to walk us through everything we need to know self deceptions of recycling. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, this earth, it's where we spend every day of our life, isn't it? And uh, it's where we're going to grow up. It's where you're going to raise your family, your kids. It matters. It's important that we take care of it. And uh, and yet, you know, many of us aren't maybe playing as important of a role as we might need to when it comes to taking care of, uh, of Mother Earth. For example, how many times have you printed a page or printed many pages at work simply because you know you have a recycling bin? So you print more, but because you know you're going to recycle it. Or, you know, how many times have you had a plastic water bottle and you know because it has the recycle symbol on there that you must be obviously taking care of Mother Earth because you're using recycled bottles now. Anyway, are, are we are we really making a dent in protecting uh, in protecting the environment? We may actually be deceiving ourselves. So, Dr. Kenneth Worthy is the author of an article that we found called "The Self Deceptions of Recycling." He teaches environmental history and philosophy and ethics at UC Santa Cruz, Saint Mary's College of California, and UC Berkeley. He's on the phone with us today to help us understand more about what really goes on after we throw out our garbage into the blue bin and how we can be smarter with our recycling. Again, Dr. Kenneth Worthy, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Hi, Matt. Thanks. Great to have you on and uh, to have you teaching us about this. Now, I know you wrote a book, too, called Invisible Nature, um, Healing the Destructive Divide Between People and the Environment. So the recycling movement, it's good. We've made a lot of progress. We're recycling I don't want to ever act like we're not, but I want you to teach us w- what really don't we understand when it comes to recycling, because I know you do have a, a strong passion about it.
8: Yeah. Well, first of all, the first problems with recycling, and for, I, I'll preface this, all of this by saying, of course, it's better to recycle than to not recycle. Right. Um, but the first problems come with our technical problems. Um, one of which is, it takes a lot of energy and resources to do recycling. For the industries that do the recycling, it's not free. It's not like you right. put a sheet of paper into the recycling bin and then um, just magically another sheet of paper appears, and it's you know, and it's environment. No environmental damage comes with that. Right. That's not what happens. Actually, you know, the recycling industry uses lots of energy, um, and And um, for instance, a good example is that in in Wisconsin, there's a paper recycling factory that's the second largest polluter in the state. Uh. And on top of that, um, a lot of stuff we put into recycling never gets into the recycling industry um, for various reasons, one of which is that we mix in materials that shouldn't be there. the recycling industry rejects a lot of the uh, materials that are collected and they just go to landfill. Hmm. So that's actually, I should mention that as the first problem. The first problem is a lot of the materials we put into the recycling bin are never recycled. They just go into landfill.
1: So so we're um, doing it and in our minds we're thinking, Oh, look at how much I'm doing. And yet yeah. a good percentage of it may not even make it to a recycling center.
6: That's
8: right. Hmm. And um, in my In my book, Invisible Nature, in fact, I talk about uh, the uh, recycling of electronics and high tech consumer electronics that we all love now, you know with our smartphones and our laptops and everything which seem like clean uh, clean products are actually some of the most um, uh, environmentally damaging products ever made hmm. um, they involve thousands of different kinds of toxic chemicals, beryllium, cadmium, mercury, and arsenic that are put into them. And then when they're recycled, they often go to low-tech recycling centers in poor villages in Asia, like the village Guiyu in China, where there's all sorts of recycling done just using fires, open fires and Mm. open acid pits. And then the wastes are just piled up in giant piles and all, all this material leaches into the into the rivers and the groundwater and just a year after they started recycling in that village in the 1990s they had to start trucking in all their water
9: all their groundwater oh, because they it was, use their well water anymore uh,
1: it's almost like we we there's two sides to this there's kind of the facade the front of recycling where we just you know we go take our phones and turn them in at a recycle center or whatever and then there's the dirty backside where there's a lot of pollution still going on energy is being consumed and water is being polluted
8: that's right and you know that double world is the focus of my book invisible nature because i write about how you know we're we're living our lives and we're trying to do good most of us yeah and by recycling for instance or you know by buying a hybrid car or something like that and then actually there's a whole other world where all of the consequences take place um... from our decisions from our everyday decisions and what one, one of the things that's really interesting and unique about the modern world and the modern economy is that we have um, it's very good at uh, removing most of the consequences of our actions and putting placing them somewhere else in the world in taking them away from our decision-making. So we get the benefits by a, a computer. You get all the benefits of the computer. Right. But all of the environmental harms, they happen somewhere else. Goes to Asia.
6: <laughs> wow. Yeah, it
8: goes to Asia. Yeah, exactly. In the manufacturing now and the, and the disposal. That's, Actually, yeah. a, a lot of this stuff is still made in Silicon Valley, um, and, and the processes are improving, but Silicon Valley is, most people don't realize this, one of the most polluted places on the In the United States, it has the highest concentration of uh, EPA Superfund sites.
6: Oh uh, wow!
8: Because of the history of high-tech manufacturing down there, Um,
1: we we outsource our pollution. Really, I mean, except for Silicon Valley, yeah.
8: Well, that's kind of one of the big drawbacks of uh, free trade agreements that have been enacted in the past, which is that they just. In some sense, they just make it easier to outsource pollution and environment and uh, social injustices, uh, and to exploit you know cheap labor that's less regulated.
6: Mm-hmm.
8: And so that's Man. anyway that's a whole other issue. It's but it's part of the scene, right? It's part of alienating the consequences of our actions from us.
1: Right. I mean, because normally you would, you know, if if you were just a homesteader back in the day and you you tore down a barn or whatever, you were going to throw something away, you would see it in the junk pile. That's but, right. But now we just yeah. put it in some truck that uses a lot of energy. They transport it to somewhere else, and then it destroys and it festers and rots somewhere else.
8: That's right. Think of all the the stuff that just magically disappears mm-hmm. from our lives. You know, it might... You know your old computers might sit in the closet, but then you bring them to a recycling center, or some people probably just throw them in the garbage. Oh thing. yeah, and then it just goes away, and all your garbage. Right as I'm speaking with you, the garbage collection truck is going by on my street, and <laughs> and you know it just it, the stuff just goes away, and never have to think about it
6: again.
1: And but and we actually feel incredibly moral. We feel good right. about ourselves because man, I'm doing my part. I mean, I have a you know I have a hybrid car, and I'm doing this, and I'm doing this, but I just threw my computer away.
6: <laughs> yeah.
1: Interesting. Yeah. No, it really, it's an important discussion, isn't it? Because um, I always had this idea that if I save a piece of paper and if I don't use a piece of paper or if I, if I recycle a piece of paper, it's kind of a one-to-one thing. I recycle one, it's like I, I got another one.
5: Yeah. But
1: it's really, the, the, the ratio is not like that.
5: Right.
8: And so um, another problem with recycling is that, Even the materials we put into recycling systems, they degrade over time. Every time material like plastic or paper is recycled, it gets less valuable and less recyclable. Mm. And so, and it's because the fibers, usually the fibers of the molecules break down every time it's recycled. And so this this is a process or a phenomenon called downcycling, and it means that um, we can't just infinitely recycle every bit of material. Hmm. And that's, that starts to become relevant when you start to get to the psychological aspects of recycling, um, which is we tend to think that we're doing our part and it's okay to then consume more, like you were saying earlier, but actually it's a limited process. It produces... The materials degrade because of downcycling, and there's all sorts of energy and other resources that go into like water going into recycling of paper etc other resources go in and so there are all these technical limits but then um, the problem the basic psychological problem is that um, the symbol the recycling concept um, produces. What's called the rebound effect, which is that the whole point, the, the whole fact that we can recycle makes us buy more.
1: Sure, it this makes us consumed. consumed. Huh, yeah.
8: Yeah, this has been um, it's been confirmed experimentally. Some people did an experiment, and published it in the Journal of Consumer Psychology, um, and they found out that when um, the option to recycle is present. People consume more. I think what they did was they had a printer, computer printer, and they had a recycling container next to it in one case and then no recycling container next to it in another case. And people would just print more when they hmm. knew they could recycle.
1: Oh, that's called the rebound effect. And uh, it's such an interesting dilemma because we, we really just – the answer is consume less, use less. It is. but but we But, but we've – We've promoted so strongly. Recycle, right? Hmm.
8: And that's no accident, Matt. Yeah. What happened was that the whole, you know, that recycle symbol, the right. arrows yeah. chasing one another, that was invented by the uh, the bottling industry. Ugh. And the reason yeah. they invented it was back in the '70s. They wanted to. You probably remember the crying Indian commercial, you bet. The "Keep America Beautiful" organization. Mm-hmm. That's an industry organization, and I'm not saying all industry is bad, of course, but that whole keep America beautiful and the recycling symbol, also, event, which was eventually developed, it was developed specifically um, so that the industry could prevent bottling laws um, to be created. In other words, to be enacted, rather. They wanted people to clean up after themselves so that there wouldn't be any bottle. Uh, legislation, uh, just, yeah. so, so you have to pay five or ten cents extra for the bottle, and the bottle has a value, and has to get, and goes back. And when the bottle goes back, you get the chance of of um, the industry actually reusing it, which is the second component in the the three R's. You were saying a minute ago about how recycling is not the only thing we should reduce. Right. There's three R's: reduce, reuse, and recycle, and they need to be. Approached in that very order, like buy less, reduce, and then of the stuff you do buy, reuse it. And then of what you have and you really need, but then you no longer need, you can recycle it.
1: See, that, that's what needs to be promoted. I mean, like I was just hearing in the state of Utah, they're going to, um, they may mandate in, for companies to recycle. Uh-huh. But but and and make it I guess a law that you have to recycle. But now that I sit here and think, I think maybe what we ought to demand is they reduce.
8: Yeah, yeah, and reuse because for instance,
1: right, and reuse uh,
8: with the bottle bills. There's actually the potential to to reuse the bottles, for instance, which would be much better than recycling them. And you know, I used to have spent some time living in Germany, and beer bottles are made very. You know, really heavy duty, and they were taken back and reused, just like Coke bottles and right. soda bottles. Right, back in the day. Yeah, but now they're just all uh, trash, which t- and recycled or thrown into landfill, and then um, you know that takes a lot more energy than just washing them and using them again. Mm, totally. So, yeah.
1: It's let Let's do this. Let's take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Kenneth Worthy. And uh, Dr. Kenneth Worthy, if you go to his website, KennethWorthy.net, it's a great source um, for just information and about his book, Invisible Nature. Uh, he's a professor and uh, does a lot of work at the University of California, Berkeley, St. Mary's College of California, NYU. He's, he's, he's done a lot of great stuff. He's helping us understand what really goes on behind the scenes in the recycle world. And also helping us understand maybe the ability to reduce and reuse um, maybe even a more important focus for all of us than just recycling. Stick with us. We'll take a break. Come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back.
6: But you don't
1: know what you've got till it's gone. They paid paradise, put up a parking lot. Welcome back everybody to with the Matt Townsend, the Townsend, Townsend show. Hey, today we're taking care of Mother Earth with a little focus on uh, reducing, reusing, and recycling. A lot of us get this really Great sense of ourselves when we throw a bottle into a recycling bin or, or some paper into a recycling bin. But you know what? Maybe reducing your use of you know products would go a lot farther than just recycling. Joining us today, Dr. Kenneth Worthy. He's the author of the book, Invisible Nature, Healing the Destructive Divide Between People and the Environment, And he also is a research associate at the University of California. He teaches environmental history, philosophy, and ethics at UC Santa Cruz and St. Mary's College of California and UC Berkeley. He's here um, to talk to us about an article we read, I believe, on um, psychologytoday.com, where he runs a blog called The Green Mind. Dr. Kenneth Worthy, thanks again for being with us.
8: Oh, thank you, Matt. It's great to be
1: here. This is such a... I mean, for me, I I would never... Like, I'm not... I love the Earth, and I feel we have a major stewardship to protect it and to take care of it um and and yet it's funny how we we as humans end up corrupting something as good as even recycling um and, and not corrupted, but we could do so much more. And yet, industries lead us, and we don't, we're not as fully informed as we want to be, which is why I wanted to, to do this topic. Um, yeah. Talk a little bit more about what else we could do uh, to reuse and to reduce, and what else should we be doing when it comes to recycling to make sure we get the most bang for the buck?
8: Well, one thing um, is to keep, that, keep the three R's in mind always. Uh, which is reduce, reuse, and recycle. So reduce just meaning consuming less, buying less. We all have way more stuff. I I shouldn't say all of us. Everyone's not fortunate, but the vast majority of people in the country, we have way more stuff than we need. And there's a real tension built into our lives, which is, on the one hand, we have an economic system and industry telling us everything's better if we buy more not only in our own life, but in the whole economy. The whole economy is depending on growth. It's depending on American consumer. The world economy depends on American consumers to buy more and more all the time. And, by the way, that's one of the reasons why these um, self-storage units, that's one of the most rapidly growing industries. People buy all this stuff, and then they need more space to to store it, and houses keep growing, too. Um, But... This tension is kind of an outcome of the uh, what I talk about in my book of being detached from the consequences of our actions and this, these two worlds we live in the one in which you know our everyday experiences and then the other world where all of these consequences are dispatched and you know like the dirty recycling in Guiyu, China and else you know all these other problems that we create in the world and global climate change, etc., that people know about, but it seems like almost magically unreal because we read about it, but we don't experience it mm-hmm. in our everyday lives. So uh, the thing to do, and you know, I appreciate we're getting to the solutions now, the thing to do is really to focus on reduction and to realize that we need, and this is the political action side of it, is we need an economy that doesn't have to grow all the time. And the growth economy, the materials-intensive economy, is the core of what's really driving environmental degradation in our world. And it's not going to stop as long as, you know, fancier vehicles, you know, um, electric cars, all of that, that's not going to stop this problem. It may slow it down. It may slow down environmental degradation. But the basic core, the basic crux is reduction. Mm. First R, Reduce. And also to reuse. Reuse is actually a way of reducing because when you're reusing something, you're you're not buying it, you're not uh, consuming more. Yeah. Um, and recycle is a third, a weak third spot, which is get the materials back into the economy. Reduction takes a lot of different forms, by the way. It's not just you yourself reusing it. I mean, excuse me. Reuse takes a lot of, of forms, so it doesn't mean you have to reuse it. One of right. the things I enjoy doing is trying to find outlets for other people who can reuse stuff that I have. And the sharing economy, not, not the Uber sharing economy, but the, the real sharing economy in which neighbors get together and share tools. I love um, that. Instead of everybody having to own their own handsaw, saw or rather circular saw, which they only use once every five years. <laughs>
1: uh, right. Um, share it. Borrow yeah, it, have, yeah. Lend we it.
8: Tool, we have a tool lending library in my in my city of Berkeley, California, where citizens can just go and borrow oh. tools for free. That's cool. Anyway, my book is about, Invisible Nature is about uh, all of this. It's kind of a, a bigger picture for all of this, which is we need to, individual citizens need to start um, learning all, how our lives touch the world, how our lives extend out into the world. How, what happens with recycling? What happens when we buy a computer? What happens when we turn on the faucet? Where's the water coming from?
1: Yeah, yeah it's not just coming from that magical space. Um, yeah. But, you know, uh, Kenneth, I wish we had more time. We're up against a, a break, but I can't. We, we're, we'll have to get you back. This is, I think, critical for all of us to be able to Open our eyes and just see the impact. Nothing is free, folks. Um, The water doesn't just appear. And when you throw something away, it doesn't just go away. It goes somewhere. Go look up that book, Invisible Nature Healing the Destructive Divide Between People and the Environment, from Dr. Kenneth Worthy. And uh, just go to kennethworthy.net as well. Great stuff. We'll take a break, come back, visit our good buddies down at BYU Sports Nation, find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Thanks for joining us. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Well, play the Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Go, Johnny, go. Hey, uh, we're shooting it down now to our good buddies down there, BYU Sports Nation,
9: Spencer and Jerem. Hello, gentlemen. What there? The greatest song Michael J. Fox ever sang.
1: Do you love this song or what? Do you love that movie?
9: It's my, it's, oh, it's all so time good. Top yeah. three for me all time. Yeah. Is it okay, really? Back to yes. the future. So this
1: is a big Two. day for you.
9: Absolutely it is.
1: Today's the day at 429.
4: At 429, that's
9: right.
1: It's happening at Hill Valley in Brian California.
9: Scott! 1.21 gigawatts. Marty.
1: <laughs> hey um Rhodes okay so here, here's a test I'm testing you I okay. know you'll know the answer to this okay in the movie and I don't know if I don't know the what number the first one or the second I have no idea it, because I or I, about the third the second one movie. I, I actually or the, or the I actually the the western not as good Come on, I, I have a life so I don't know um there was a game that they talked about with the Cubs where they were going to win the World Series
4: yep not a game
1: playing I mean yeah a series playing another team
9: Miami. We just talked about this. What? Yep, the Miami Marlins. Here, here's Cubs, a clip. At the, the time, they said Miami. There was no team in there Miami. There was no team in Miami. Against Miami? Yeah, it's something, huh? Who would have thought?
4: Hundreds to one shot. See that?
9: I wish I would have put
4: gone back in time and put some money down on the cubbies.
1: 100 to one shot. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Hoverboards, mm. uh, jackets that fit themselves, uh, shoes that tie themselves. What, what would you Facts do? Machines, instant pizza.
1: Do you remember? What would you do though if you went back in time and your mother thought you were hot?
4: Be weird.
9: Yeah, I think he played that role appropriately. Yeah,
1: I'd be freaked out.
9: Yeah, that would be super weird.
1: You, would you not like say, "Mom, come on"?
9: Just the diet, the dialogue in that movie, the details that have to extend through the time continuum. I mean, the one of the things that is my favorite is. When he runs into that tree, when he goes back in time 30 years ago, it's the Twin Pines Mall at the beginning of the movie. Right. And when he comes back from 30 years after the future has been changed, it's the Lone Pine Mall. Amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. They lost a tree. They lost a pine. Robert Zemeckis. Incredible. Greatest film. Didn't she call him Calvin? Calvin Calvin Klein. Klein. He's such a dream. Yeah. because yes. of his undies yes <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're purple <laughs>
4: they're <great>. uh. <laughs> see he puts the headphones on
1: see on that's, a movie. <laughs> that's on a movie that's a movie that's it Vader. dude i'm so glad i'm so it's glad because so this i can tell this just makes you guys happy
9: yeah i, I love back to the future i mean a and lot of have people to try and convince my wife to watch that movie with me tonight yeah we own the trilogy yeah. Do you? It's like 20, You're a 20 something bucks. You can, it's cheap. In Blu-ray or on DVD? I think Blu-ray. Yeah, it's really we have, cheap. Yeah, have the Blu-ray yeah. trilogy. Yeah. Can I can I
1: borrow it sometime?
9: Absolutely. Yeah, man.
1: I don't I don't spend my money that way.
9: 7 bucks a day.
1: <laughs> You'll loan it out. I'll I'll get it I'll get it watched in one night all three of them.
4: So good. Mm. It should be on like AMC all day. It's don't really you
1: think? Fun. Totally. So I, I didn't I was debating and I didn't know whether to talk to you about that. Or to talk to you about the fact that at least one in eight of us are carrying around the cells of a twin that we consumed in utero.
9: That's wow. a fact?
1: Yeah, That's a fact, Jack. 12%. 12% of us actually started out with two cells. Ooh,
9: What in the world? That's
1: Ben consuming a twin in utero oh
9: my goodness stop so that wasn't man it Dwight Schrute that I was a twin I
4: became the I, dominant yeah. yeah so I have He's, the strength of a grown man yeah. and a baby
6: yeah.
4: <laughs> <laughs> the
9: <laughs> office I was just thinking about that amazing
1: you guys are so warped this I knew why we do the show together I know I knew if I threw that out there you would take it somewhere crazy
4: yeah it was funny because Michael Miner's like he got us into a room and he said listen we can't find anybody else Um, To host this show Yeah, we're desperate Do you guys know The Office? And we said, yes He said, okay, you're the guys. You're
1: in You're in
4: We we haven't told that story before
1: But I believe it And I know Michael And I I could see him doing that
4: We're currently working on a a uh, Netflix-only documentary On the origins of the show
1: Oh, that's fantastic Yeah I would watch that
4: Unrated, unfiltered (laughs)
9: It's gonna be amazing. Yeah, it's got a budget of about twenty thousand dollars. we are expecting that much? a twenty return? Of, I was told two hundred dollars. Oh, sorry, my bad. Oh yeah, someone's two hundred We're gonna budget. set up our
4: iPhone and just record us. We're anticipating about the that we can grow that
9: by at least a hundred percent and pull in four hundred no. bucks. No.
4: no. So that's that's just out there. You know, we're that's, not we're not on right. No, like, no, no, just we're just not just, on the air. We're oh, just okay, talking. Good.
1: No, good. yeah, we're at a break. Man, I we're can't believe that stuff. I can't believe that you were only gonna get two hundred, but Spencer's gonna get twenty grand. That just seems like...
9: Yeah, apparently I'm just, they're sharing I'm different things with to be involved. In the with me. Yeah, I'm I'm that's happy true. to be involved. You
1: guys are such a good team. Seriously. Thank You're you. like twins huh. that didn't consume each other in the womb. <laughs>
9: I'm like, we battled and then thought, you know what, let's what, just call what, it a what, draw. What, we're too what, good, what, good what, together.
1: What <laughs> so uh, you guys going to do your show today?
9: We are going to do the show, Loaded Show. What's like, here? What, what's up? I'm going to do it in a white wig today.
1: Perfect. Just like old Chris,
9: George Washington.
4: Christopher Lloyd, yeah.
9: Okay, no, so George... on Back to the Future today, <laughs> we are taking a wide-angle perspective of the BYU football season at 5-2. and two. Cool. Yeah, Asking you're... how people have recalculated, if they have at all, Recalculating. their expectations given the way that things have unfolded. We're bearing the
4: lead, though. Yeah. Yahoo Sports Boo. reports that Jimmer Fredette will be waived by the Spurs today. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Bummer. He's going to play basketball for a long time. I don't know if that's Tuesday nights at the at the Provo Rex Center, oh, stop or if that's it. in Spain. Yes. Or if that's with number, another NBA team. See, I went worst to first. Yeah, that was good on that. Um, he's going to play ball for a long time, and he's going to get paid to do so.
6: Mm, that's too bad.
4: Hopefully, he gets another shot in the NBA. I have a feeling that that might be over.
1: Yeah. my My ward team needs somebody. Yeah. I mean, if it gets that Jeremy's bad,
9: your man, Matt.
1: Yeah, Jaron's
9: all in I'll be on the church ball. Like, is he in your ward? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah he totally, totally is. With legs like that, how could he not be?
9: Jerem's all in on the church ball. <laughs> me
1: the church That's a good ball. show. Anything else on the show?
9: Yeah, absolutely.
4: Heisman Trophy-winning
9: quarterback Ty Demmer will join us. Holy cow. That's I've
4: how big the day is. We haven't we have even mentioned big. that we were going to have Ty Demmer on the show. There. His nephew is the third-string quarterback right. on the BYU team right now.
1: He's probably going to play against Wagner, right?
4: He should play against Wagner. But well, where does where does Tanner Mangum's progress as a freshman compare to Ty Demmer's as a freshman?
1: Ty Ooh, is one of those seven yeah.
9: freshman quarterbacks that have played for BYU before. You're going to
1: talk about that, and Ty's going to give you his insight. Absolutely. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. That's yeah, good.
9: Ty shared something with me on media day about – Tanner Mangum in the Under Armour All-American game, a fabulous story. Oh cool. That he will relate today on BYU Sports Nation.
1: It's an it's I think this is a must, a must see show, a must listen to and a must see show. Today's the day.
9: Go Johnny go. You know we got little BYU basketball there. All-access yeah. with Nick Emery, freshman guard.
1: Are you are you going to pay any tribute to Back to the Future other than <sighs> the white wig? Please. I know you Do will. Do you
9: even need to ask? No, I didn't.
1: I just was throwing. I'm giving you a chance to tease it.
9: I hate manure.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, that's all the teas you need right there. That's all you need. Well, hey, um, it sounds like a great show. I know you got to go get waxed and ready, so good luck. Make it a great one. You got it, brother. Don't embarrass us. Don't embarrass the brand.
9: Too late. Remember the promise.
1: (laughs) Stay clean. Thanks, gents. Be good. Um, Cool.
9: Man, they've got good
1: shows. Holy cow. When was the last time we pulled Ty Detmer in? Uh how about never? We're still working on it. Ben, make a note. Take a note, Ben. I want let's see. I want Ty Detmer. I want Ty and Ty's wife, okay, to come on and talk about uh life post NFL and all that stuff. Okay. Yeah, let's get let's get people like that. Let's get Jimmer Ferdette, his wife. They're wonderful. Yes, sir. Just while we're at it. Okay. <sighs> thank you for taking a note. And thank you for using the chalkboard. We haven't used the chalkboard for quite a while. Yeah, I thought
4: we might as well use it. Yeah, while we're Some here. Way, yeah.
1: I mean, we're not going anywhere. Hey, did you hear this uh this crazy 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 story? Um uh, there's an altercation between um two passengers on a Southwest plane forced uh a San Francisco-bound flight to turn around and make an emergency landing in L.A. on Sunday night. Here's some audio from the actual flight. Oh, there it goes. Flight 2010 left Los Angeles International Airport about 10.30 p.m. and landed back at the airport about 15 minutes later because of a rapidly escalating situation involving two passengers who weren't traveling together. Southwest Airlines said in a statement, one person aboard tweeted that a dispute was over a passenger's reclining uh, reclining their seat. Southwest described the incident as a physical altercation by one passenger against another and said the pilot opted to declare an emergency on the flight to give it priority landing over other inbound flights. The jet returned to the gate where law enforcement was waiting. One passenger was removed from the flight and the remaining 136 passengers continued on their journey to San Francisco. By the way, the FBI is handling the investigation. And uh, this just in, and luckily it didn't turn out to be this type of a fight, but uh, police say a man threw a hot sauce bottle and knocked his victim unconscious in a fight over graham crackers in Florida. Reveria Beach police say Sean D'Andre Thomas was eating graham crackers this week at a church that provides meals for the homeless, and authorities said Thomas became upset when someone asked for his crackers, so he picked up a bottle of hot sauce and did what all of us would do. He allegedly threw it at the man's head, knocking him unconscious. Oh, I killed it. <laughs> According to a police report, Thomas also punched another man in the throat when he tried to intervene. The, the ever-dangerous throat punch... Thomas is charged with aggravated battery with a deadly weapon. By the way, do not, do not mess with a man's crackers.
4: He will hot sauce you. Do you remember yesterday? No. When you tried to take my crackers?
1: Oh, were those yours? Is that why you started freaking out and throwing things? Yeah. That was funny. Hey, you have all remember that train hero, Spencer Stone. There was, a, there was a story. Do you remember the train hero in France uh, that uh, just months ago? Here's my hero of the day. There were um, just months ago, Spencer Stone and two other friends thwarted an attack on a French passenger train. Do you remember? After stopping a gunman who opened fire on the train. He and his friends saved a whole train load of people. They won awards in France. Well, just a few weeks ago, that same guy, Stone, Spencer Stone, was stabbed outside of a club in Sacramento, California. And nobody, they didn't talk about why he was stabbed. So everyone's like, oh boy, what was he doing? Was he into trouble? No. Apparently, Spencer Stone was trying to protect a girl who was getting punched by her boyfriend. So Stone is said to have been enjoying a night out with his friends when he jumped into the dispute to protect the girl that was being hit. Stone was stabbed four times in the chest, suffering a collapsed lung. He nearly died, but is going to be all right. He's still in recovery. Spencer Stone, two times hero. Holy cow. I'm telling you, folks, there's some people that just keep stepping in it and finding it. Hero times two. Well, we believe you're all a hero on the show. Thanks for listening. We can't do the show without you, so join us again tomorrow. More tools, more ideas right here on The Matt Townsend Show, or look us up on iTunes or TuneIn or byuradio.org. You can find those apps, download the podcast, send it to your friends that need it, of course. And uh, we'll be back again tomorrow with more information, more ideas to help you see the good in the world. Until tomorrow, take care of each other, love the ones you're with, and uh, make it a great one. We'll talk again tomorrow.